Hey, welcome to the 237th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to my stomach, who's growling, and Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken, because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome, and if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently talking about the Superman series from 1987, written and drawn by John Byrne, so classic Superman stuff, red shorts, secret identity, uh, yeah, just let Metallo first appearance, Super Superman, Lex Luthor, Lois Lane, classic stuff. It's great, it's great. <laughs> so you can hear about that. I also recently talked about the all six of the live original live action <laughs> Resident Evil movies. Uh, that that was something. <laughs> so you can hear all that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash amen for Mick, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five sko-fi.com slash gman from heck all right what are we talking about this week all right here so here's the dilemma i think the main feature is going to be studio 666 that's the foo fighters movie i know that movie came out a couple weeks ago i'm a little i was you know a little i love foo fighters so don't don't you i mean you're gonna hear i i, I try talk more about dave Grohl and foo fighters and nirvana more than I could say about the movie. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. The problem is, the movie's been out for a couple weeks. So there's that. The other thing, I don't know if everyone's into Foo Fighters. Everyone, you know, it's so we'll, we'll see. The other thing that came out is Seeing Red. So I, I may talk a little bit about that. Full disclosure, I haven't had a chance to watch the whole thing. So I, I feel like I watched enough to kind of get an idea for it. So I, I can talk a little briefly. But yeah, so it's it's not going to be a full-fledged, full segment because I haven't watched the whole thing. I mean, after, how much did I watch? I watched like almost half of it, maybe a little less than half. So, you know, things could get drastically, amazingly, you know, so much better later or maybe it could get worse. And then other things to talk about is, of course, Sovereign, Servant, Flash, Star Trek Picard, Superman, Lois, Snowpiercer, all, all that fun stuff. So, with the news... Cool thing, Star Wars Obi Wan. As you may know, I I really like Star Wars. I, I you'd say I, I love Star Wars. I really love Ewan McGregor too. I I think he's he's a phenomenal person, phenomenal actor. So the Obi Wan show, I'm you know I was I'm excited for it and you know, everything. I was like, okay, yeah, let's see what's gonna happen. You know, and you know, you, you can joke about it's just gonna be him sitting in the desert checking up on Luke every once in a while. But watching that trailer, oh everything's changed i'm i'm like 100 times more excited than i was before and and you know should have should have realized it because I, I think i mentioned i might have been last week where i was like okay there's rumor that maybe we're gonna see you know 10 year old princess leia and which makes sense because we know bail organa is going to be in the movie or in the series but even that you know that could just be a little minor thing you know appearance here and there what's going on you know in coruscant or whoever wherever you know but man, watching that trailer, it's I, I'm like super excited, and you know the, the fact that we have Darth Vader, we have but we have friggin' Inquisitors, and that I was not expecting. So we'll, we'll have to have to see. I mean, I, I I can't wait. May 25th, we have that. Unfortunately, with Warner Brothers, though, there's gonna be some delays. 
So Aquaman 2, I forget what it's called, is moving to March 17th, 2023. So that's like a year from now. I, I believe the the problems for this is, I don't know, I think it's more like a production size and it could still be like COVID, you know, because obviously things are scaled back. You know, you can't have as many people working and there's just different things and precautions. So I think that's that's the reason for it. And as I always say, you know, I, I would much rather something gets delayed than, you know, just rushed and not be as good as it should be. So, so we have that. Flash is also moving uh, to, was it called Flash? Flashpoint? I don't even know what it's called. That's going to be moving all the way to June 23rd, 2023. So that's kind of crazy. Black Adam, I think, is moving back. I think that was supposed to be in the summer. That's moving to October 21st. Super Pets is moving to July 29th, because I think that was in June. So that moved back a little bit. And then Shazam was supposed to be out June 2nd, uh, 2023. That's actually moving up to December 16th. So it's it's kind of weird. We're going to have Black Adam in October and then Shazam in December. Because I don't know if, if Black... I think Black Adam's supposed to be in Shazam, right? But, but man, I, my, I guess my concern is, how is Shazam even ready to go this year? It's like, did they just like crank it out? I mean... Yeah, so we'll see what what they do with that. Speaking of not cranking things out, so what's going on with Star Trek? Uh, apparently, when it was announced that you know there's going to be another Star Trek movie, I guess the cast wasn't fully aware of that. That it just kind of happened, and they're like, "Oh, they announced it. We didn't know anything." And Chris Pine. Now, one one thing that I said, it, it's I, I saw I read this article where it's like he hasn't read the script yet, and. I don't know. I couldn't tell if he was waiting. Like, is he not 100% confirmed yet? Is he waiting? Because I would think I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll do the movie, but I'd like to see what the script is. Or, you know, or maybe it's just a matter of like, it's like, yeah, I can't even tell you anything about the movie because I haven't read the script. So it was just, it almost, it kind of felt like, I don't know, I, I just, I feel like there would be a little, little concern where, because Obviously, if you get the script and like this is a complete piece of garbage, I don't want to do this movie. But uh, I don't think that's the case. So I'll have to see. So with the Batman, the Batman last week, you know, everyone's excited and it was good. And I'm, I, I haven't seen it again. I want to see it again. But what was weird is I guess HBO Max is officially ordering a Penguin spinoff series. But it's like they talked about that almost like, like last summer. They, they mentioned it. I guess I don't understand. I, I, I thought it was, a, it was a done deal. Like it was going to happen. But now they're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's officially going to happen. And one of the things I'm not clear on, it's, you know, it's supposed to, I guess, deal with with uh, Penguin Oswald Cobblepot's rise to power. So I'm still not clear. Is it like a prequel or is it like a sequel act after this movie? Because like one of the things uh, I, I saw is like, well, maybe Carmine Falcone would be in the movie. But it's like I'm trying to figure out, OK, what? would his position be and so we'll have to see i don't know uh more batman kind of news uh cw gotham knights show which it's almost like why 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 are you gonna even bother making this show this is this is the show that's about batman's son which oh now i forget was it supposed to be damien and batman's son and the son of batman's villains who are accused of killing 
Batman or something like that, they have to team up to try to figure out who actually did it or something. Was it Batman who died? I think that's what it was. Anyways, they cast uh, Carrie Kelly and Dula Dent. I didn't recognize the names. Sorry. I mean, I don't know if they if, what they've been in. It's not nothing. It's not on my radar. I mean, not my age demographic, I guess. But the thing, Carrie Kelly, it's like, I, I don't like when they, they do that. They, because they kind of did this in the Titan show when uh, they, uh, Nightwing, Dick Grayson found a bunch of files like on potential Robins, like after Jason Todd. There was, you know, there was a file on Tim Drake, uh, I'm pretty sure. And, but there was one is Carrie Kelly. It's like, why are you trying to bring this future character who wouldn't necessarily even be alive or be like teeny tiny? And, you know, try, it's just so they can do like, oh, here's Easter egg or whatever, but it's a different version. And, and Dula Dent, it's like, I, I feel like that is, I mean, I guess if you need one, the kids are the villains. And Dula Dent was always an interesting character, I thought. It was like, the, the fact it's like, the whole reason for that. Um, while I'm talking about uh, Warner Brothers, there's a trailer for DMZ. And, um, not really sure how I, how I feel about but but this. Uh, I mean, the trailer looks like it could be. I mean, it's Rosario Dawson, so I'm, you know I'm sure she's she's gonna be great in it. But with the comic, I've I never actually read the comic, and I, I'm not really sure why. I feel like when it came out, I it just totally wasn't on my my radar. So this was a book that once people I, I heard about it once people were talking about it, it's like there was it was already like a, a bunch of issues deep. And then it's to the point where it's like, okay, I'd have to track down the issues or find the trades and then read them and then, you know, just trying to keep up with everything else. So I, I just never read it. The other thing also is um, my hesitation and, and it, 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 you know, Google search Brian Wood, you know, the writer of, of DMC. There's a, a little bit of controversy around him. And so that's the thing. It's like, you know, it always comes to the matter of, you know, do you want to, when someone does questionable things, do you, you know, separating the art from the artist type of thing? So it's like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, on Netflix, uh, they, they announced One Piece is getting a live action adaptation. And so One Piece is, is one of the, I mean, I, I'm familiar, I've heard of it. I haven't ever read the manga. And I'm sure there's probably an anime too, right? Now I feel like, like I, I don't know anything because I, I don't. But anyway, so they, they announced they're doing live action. So let's hope it's they do it justice because a lot of times, especially when, you know, Americans, Western, cult, whatever, try adapting, it just, it never, it doesn't go well. So let, let's hope. Jeff Ward's going to be in it and, you know, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So hopefully it, it'll be good. But um, yeah, so I hope for One Piece fans that they're, they're not disappointed. Are you um, excited for Dune? So Dune 2 might have Florence Pugh in it in a role. And what's interesting, sort of the, the co-writer, I guess, mentioned Dune 3. It's like they're already talking about Dune 3, and which is funny because like when the first one came out, they're like, you know, Warner Brothers didn't want to film back to back because they weren't really sure. But now I guess they're, they're okay, yeah, we're committing. Not only... Are they doing a Dune three? So the third movie would be based off the second book, Dune Messiah. So, and I don't know if that would contain the whole movie. Ever they're gonna have to break that down. But then 
they're also talking like possible spinoffs. It's like, really? And I, I think there was mention of, of a, a Dune HBO Max series. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's there are multiple books. And I, I, I keep forgetting because I've listened to some of the audiobooks. And I, I forget if I've listened to two or three. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, the question is, you know, can you get all the, the actors? Because there's so many different actors. And I'm sure they're so busy, you know, doing other things. So it's a matter of, and I, I guess, you know, you don't need them all at once. You know, you can try to do it. But that's just going to make it more expensive and tricky and so I don't, I don't know. Uh, so Quantum Leap, I feel like I've been talking a lot about Quantum Leap lately, but Ernie Hudson has been cast in the the, so the the Quantum Leap revival. He's going to be playing like this politician officer dude or something like that. I guess he's supposed to be trying to keep the Pentagon at bay after the, the new dude, the Scott Bakula guy who's going through time after he disappears. So it sounds like, and I don't remember how how quantum leap started like who who funded this i mean the fact that you know here's this crazy technology that allows someone to travel through time you would think the government would want to get their hands on it and if this is 30 years after it's like what have they been doing with this technology in that 30 years says you know how did this get discovered was it always government funded or not i mean i never got really that impression but it's I, I it's been so long since I've watched the show and I wasn't like a huge diehard fan. I mean I, I enjoyed watching it, but we'll have to see. So it almost sounds like so could Ernie Hudson be like the like the owl role, like Dean Scottwell? Could he be like in contact with, with him? But yeah, it, I forget, was that a peacock show or NBC? I think it was a peacock, so I don't know. Uh Craven Hunter news. <laughs> I, I don't even know what's going on with this movie. But uh Christopher um, oh, what was this? I can't remember. Ab- Aberst. Anyways, they, they've cast the foreigner. Um, the, who was, wasn't someone else cast as a villain? I don't remember who it was. So you got the foreigner in here. So I, it just seems weird, you know, bringing in all these Spider-Man adjacent characters, you know, and it feels like they're doing it just to lay copyright claim on a character saying, yep, this is in the spider universe. So we we're doing this. So you can't use them. Or whatever. I guess that's how to, how the deal goes. Uh, are you a fan of God of? I don't know why I keep, I'm asking you. I'm asking you these questions, and, and you, I, I don't hear you answering me. Uh, God of War. So that apparently, I I don't know if this is new news. I feel like I've I've heard about this before, but maybe not. So apparently, they're going to be doing. Uh, Amazon is doing a God of War live action series. My immediate thoughts like. How expensive is that going to be? And I, I don't know why I immediately think about that because you think of like all these shows. Like, what about like the CW shows? Not that they have like the biggest budget of all mankind, but it's still got to cost something to make these shows. And Amazon, obviously, they're they're taking things to a higher level than I feel like the budget of an Amazon show is higher than the CW show. So we'll see. I mean, it just it sounds very ambitious to do a live action God of War fans of the game i hope that they don't get their hearts broken so we'll see uh oh moon knight there is a some like character posters and not nothing major news um so you, you can see like moon knight mr knight and uh stephen grant or assuming it's stephen grant and um i'm excited there was this other little clip that came out i don't know if it was like a full trailer i think i saw it on instagram uh, you know, even though everything goes on instagram but one of my concerns, you know, you, you see this one moment where actually there's a kind of a couple moment where it's almost like this costume transformation. 
And I don't know how I feel about that because there's there's a part where you see Oscar Isaac where he kind of like turns his head and all of a sudden he like changes into Moon Knight and it's like complete with like the cowl and everything. So it's like, what does that mean? Is his like costumes like some sort of magic thing? Because it was bad enough. I mean, I the one thing I'll complain about like with with Iron Man's armor, where you know in old comics it was like physical armor, it's like his helmet chunk, you take it off. Now it's like it's all like all automatic, it all just disappears into nothing. Even like like Star Lord with his helmet, you know, he just hits a little thing and it's gone. It's like what is like magic technology where it just makes it disappear. So now with Moon Knight, I guess it would kind of help when he, if he has like a super long cape. He doesn't. Where is he going to keep that? He, you know, even if he tries to fold it up or roll it up, it's like he's going to need a huge backpack. It's like you're carrying a sleeping bag, if not something larger. So I don't know how I feel about that, and whether it's some Egyptian Kanchu, you know, Egyptian god magic. Uh, I don't know because it's not how it works in the comics, and it doesn't have to be the same, but. We'll, we'll see. Anyways, I'm excited <laughs> either way because I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Uh, filming has wrapped for Halloween Ends. I, I should probably watch the second one again, the, the last movie. But yeah, I just remember I wasn't super crazy about the ending. I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but yeah, I, there's some things I'm just like, what? Why is it happening like that? So that's going to come out October 14th, 2022. So that's cool. We won't have to wait too long. Um, there, I, I'm hesitant to to report on this, but apparently there's some rumor that Stephen Yoon is going to be in Spider-Man Four. It's like I don't know if I mean it's possible leaks could happen, but the fact that you know everything is it's it's like have they they're probably still working on a script and and you know maybe ideas are getting thrown out or whatever, but they're saying like oh he's gonna be Mister Negative. And it's like okay, I I just I don't know. You know, these mysterious sources, and I don't even want to mention the website. You know, I'm not like trying to claim anything, but it's been reported, not by me. Someone's claiming that one of the sources said this, and maybe we'll see. And if if it gets confirmed, then hopefully I'll remember. I'll say, I remember when I was so skeptical, I was wrong. It's actually happening. I mean, I'm not denying. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying, I don't know. So we'll see. And uh, the last bit of news is uh, Sean Levy is going to be directing Deadpool 3. So it's uh like sounds like it's official. I haven't seen it, but I've seen like a bunch of people reporting on it. So I'm assuming it's this this isn't some weird rumor. Now, uh what makes this interesting is this is uh so Sean Levy, he's also worked on Free Guy and uh, Adam Project, which Adam Pro- I didn't mention this earlier. Adam Project I'll talk about next week on next week's episode. Uh so the fact that he's worked on two movies with Ryan Reynolds. So obviously, there's that should make production go pretty smooth. I mean, they're gonna know each other really well, and you know what needs to be done and everything like that. So hopefully, it's gonna be good. And the fact that you know they're saying it's gonna be the same R-rated level humor and all that. It's it's just interesting how Disney is kind of easing back on being so hardcore against all this stuff. I mean, the fact that we're you know we're gonna be getting the Netflix Marvel shows just with a new parental filter. I think that's, that's great. Cause while I, you know, I've strongly mentioned my thoughts on an R rated, you know, anything comic related, I don't feel it's, it's necessary. I don't think it, it's a make it or break it thing, but if you're going to have something there, 
you know, you don't want to like completely restrict it for everyone. So I, I like the fact, you know, if, if Disney was like, yeah, we're not putting any R-rated content on content on Disney Plus, that kind of limits a lot of things. And then it's like, okay, I really want to watch this. Now I got to go somewhere else. So I like the idea of having everything available on Disney Plus. So I don't have to go, you know, two or three different, you know, streaming platforms. So if you're as now I'm an adult. So if I want to watch it, I like having being able to. And if I had little young ones that are going to be turning on a TV on their own without any, you know, control, I like the idea that some sort of parental control could be in place. And now hopefully they don't hack the system or, you know, their parents aren't oblivious and they don't set a passcode or whatever. So we'll see. I just hope that they send out somehow parents know that this there's gonna be this new content on there so they don't we don't get some like reports like parents are complaining this you know lawsuit my child watch you know kingpin get his head or kingpin slam some dude's head in the car like over and over again that's just moment that sticks in my mind but anyways so yeah deadpool 3 will be coming out no date anything so we have that to look forward to so that's going to be cool and that is also going to be the news for the week with comic books at Image, Good Asian number nine came out, number nine of ten. I I don't know how I, I fell behind on that, and um, I, I was enjoying it in the beginning, and then it just something happened. Um, I'm I'm curious to maybe when, once the trade comes out or something like that, I'll, I'll pick up on that. So, but you can check that out, and if you're reading it, let me know how it is. King of Spies issue four came out, and I just realized I didn't finish reading it. Oh my god, it's like a double size issue. Okay, I'm like on page 2248. Oh, man. I was so excited for this, too, because it's the last one that I've been... So does, you know, Mark Miller and Mateo Scalera. It's it's, it's it's a good series. You should check it out. You know, so four issues, it'll be collected in a trade if you haven't gotten the issues. It's basically uh, this dude, he's like this, you know, secret agent, assassin, killer dude or whatever, and he finds out he has cancer, he has six months to live, so then he's just like, all right, I'm going to right all the wrongs that I did. I'm going to kill all like the, the scumbags in the world that have been, you know, taking advantage of systems and corruption and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, he's got everyone going after him and, and it's just like, so like over the top and it's gorgeous, amazing art. And, and then I was like, it's like, Oh, it's a double size issue. Cool. And then I was like, you know, how are they going to wrap this up? How is it going to end? And that's the thing, you know, since it's Mark Miller, you, you never know what he's going to do. And, you know, it, it's maybe he is going to die at the end, or maybe there'll be some sort of cure, and somehow he moves on. And because you know, that's always a weird thing where it's like, okay, are you really going to kill off? You're going to create this new character, and you're going to kill him off, and then no potential sequel or anything like that. But you know, again, since it's Mark Miller, he can do whatever he wants. So I'm just so curious how it's going to end now, and the fact that I didn't read it, I'm I'm just kind of bummed. But the good news is I still have half an issue to read. So it's not like it's completely, completely over for me. So we have that uh, new, new, another new series that came out this week is a book. I really liked little monsters. So little monsters. Number one came out. It's Jeff Lemire and Dustin Dwin. So these guys have been, were doing amazing things. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting reading this because when I, I've seen, you know, a couple things here and there about it, but it's like I didn't read anything about it. I didn't want to read any of the synopsis or hit, hit descriptions or interviews or anything like that. And as I'm reading it, 
at first, you know, I had no idea what, what's going on, but now, it, you know, as as you just get a few pages in, you know, it's it's really clear what, what's happening. So the official synopsis says they are the last children on Earth who also happen to be vampires. So spoiler, like I say, as I was reading it, even though I I, I must have known, I must have knew knew, but it's like I you didn't know if you just see, you're introduced to these kids and they're like outside playing it, and the world seems kind of like a sort of like a wasteland like something happened and then then you start to catch on it's like oh hey the sun's coming up soon so yeah so for longer than they can remember these child vampires have lived a life of eternal wonder amongst the ruins of humanity i'm reading this this synopsis for the first time and so i'm like really curious what it's going to say but shocking events fractured a group uh oh and set them on a path of discovery that will shatter their innocence forever See, I had no idea about that. It's really cool because it's it's kind of like black and white, but there's like like hints of color every once in a while, and so it's just it's a really good book. And you know, so Jeff and Dustin did uh, Ascender and Descender, and I feel like oh, they did a uh, Robin and Batman, which I really like that series. So it's it's like a no brainer. So if you're at the comic shop and you're looking for something, you know, or if you're going to go on comicsology or whatever wherever you're reading comic you should definitely read this support this because it's it's a really cool book so i'm really happy with that uh, monkey meat issue three came out um i didn't read the second issue but i'm really curious uh after you know i looked at the first issue and it wasn't quite my thing but i was intrigued with it so you can see the, the third issue and then there's radiant red came out so at first I'm like, Radiant Red? Is this like Radiant Black? Because if you've been reading Radiant Black, you know that there are different colored uh, powered people. So Radiant Red. So yes, it is uh, in the same... It is the, the character. We've seen this character in Radiant Black. So we're, we're getting a little more focus on on her. And uh, it's it's interesting to see that because I, f- I feel like there's a little bit of backup because, like, you know, like I said, we did see some of the story before, but it's just more of a focus on, on this. And the other thing that's, that's interesting about this is it's a, it's written by Cherish Chen and then David LaFuente and Miguel Morito do the art. So, like, Kyle Higgins isn't writing this, which, you know, he, he can't write everything at once. But obviously, you know, he created these characters, so it's 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 good and it's interesting that you know to let go, you know, let let someone else do this because you know if you try doing everything yourself, it's it's not going to happen. So it's it's interesting that you know he's kind of creating this little universe and letting others play in it as well. So I I, I think that that's pretty cool. So if you like Radiant Black, you should definitely check that out. Um, Spawn, are you reading Spawn? Spawn three twenty seven came out. And it's something you know. I'm always has, or I'm always tempted to read them, but I I've mentioned before when I tried reading it, it's like I had no idea what was going on. So I I just I feel like I feel like I can never read Spawn now because I'm never going to be able to jump in, even if it's like you know new story arc. It's like what the heck is going on? Um, at Boom Studios, so Buffy: The Last Vampire Slayer issue four came out, and I forget if I. I mean, I think I didn't read the second issue, and then that that always happens for me sometimes, where I'll forget to read an issue, and then I forget, I forget, and then it's just like I get further and further behind. Also, Seven Secrets fifteen came out. I don't know how I, I missed that because uh, unfortunately I I didn't read that either. But that's another really good series that you should be reading. 
at DC, we had Batgirls number four. Um, so I, I think I, I've probably said this like <laughs> the last three times. I, I like the series. I like the idea of Stephanie and Cassandra being, and in a sense, Barbara Gordon, even though Barbara's going more as Oracle these days. But I like the fact that they're all Batgirls. I do think it's a little confusing when they're out in the field. They're like, okay, Batgirl, you do this. Batgirl, you do this. I don't know, you know, it, they there's like there was a mention like you know we need some sort other sort of code name or some way to distinguish but then that kind of like because stephanie is could still go by spoiler and cassandra could go by orphan which i never liked that name but yeah there's that the other thing that's um just kind of weird is the fact that and uh, here we go again continuity police the fact that you know Barbara's like so has such a presence in Nightwing, but then here it feels like you know Barbara and, and Dick are in two completely different cities. Even though in Nightwing it's like, are they living together? Here in Batgirls, you know Barbara is like living with Cassandra and Stephanie. There's a little I, that's it, that's the annoying thing for me. It's like, how, how does this fit together? Where does it? And I know we shouldn't worry so much about that, but. I, it's just it's it's there for me um batman urban legends 13 came out i didn't take i i still feel like i should read the the ace story since it's mark russell but we'll see maybe i'll catch up on that a detective comics 1056 so more on the, the arkham tower stuff and it's just it's still bad news you know trying to you know who's going to get control of of the tower and what what's what I'm, I'm a little unclear on I, f- I feel like i've missed something so you know the psycho pirate that was controlling everything that you know he was trying to keep everyone in check you know by using his powers and keeping everyone calm but then he kind of like slipped it was like too much and he lost control and it, 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 the whole thing broke but it's like well why can't he just focus and concentrate and get everything back because you know there's kind of like this hostage situation you know, even if, if he can't get everyone, like, couldn't he get, like, most of the people since he had, like, everyone under control before? And I, there was, a, you know, some drugs. I don't know if the drugs did anything, like, helped to keep them sedated. Because it, it, I felt like that the drugs were just, like, a placebo or just, and then, you know, he was, Psycho Pirates actually doing all the work. So I don't know. And then this Dr. Weird guy, you know, things aren't too good for him. We also, it, it finally comes back because like when this start, started, we saw uh, Nightwing. Was he Nightwing or was he Dick Grayson? I don't remember. Where he gets like thrown out a window. And it's just like, oh crap, how is he going to, because he's like, I think he's unconscious. Do we see that in the first time? So it's like, he how, he can't save himself. So we we finally come to that and see what, what happens from there. And then there's a backup story more on, on that. I don't know why <laughs> we're focusing on this kid so much. Um, maybe we're going to see more of him. Uh, and I think it's it's Matthew Rosenberg's writing it, which you know I, I love his writing. But I'm just not not I don't care so much about this kid who you know ended up. It was weird that he ended up in Arkham even though he was a kid, and you know because his parents were killed like in front of him it's weird that he blames Batman so much when it was his dad being involved with Joker that caused him to get killed. And then Batman just, you know, showed up to catch, you know, to take, take Joker to the jail or whatever. 
But it's also it's it's at a time where like no man's land's going on, so there's a, a lot of stuff there. So it's, it's kind of cool to just start kind of revisit that, and it's a little unclear it's, to me. Is like how does all this continuity fit in, you know, with New Fifty Two and not New New Fifty Two, and I, I guess the New Fifty Two doesn't even matter anymore. Like it's since it's been, or I don't even know. Uh, Future State Gotham issue eleven. I'm. I hate to say it. I, I'm like losing more and more interest in this. You know, this new Joker that we have. I don't really care so much. You know, I, I like the idea of Jason Todd kind of posing as a, like a peacemaker and you know anti-hero or whatever. But I'm just I'm I'm losing interest in, in this series. Um, there uh, there was some interesting stuff with with Dick Grayson. You know, he's working with Talia because I guess they want to try to find out where Damien's missing or disappeared or something like that. So, yeah, Dick kind of does something to to try to open his mind in a way to find out where he could be. So, we'll see where where that's going to go. I Am Batman, Issue 7. So, this is dealing with Jace, right? He's going by Jace, Tim. He used to be Tim Fox. Now he's going by Jace. So Jace is the Batman of New York. So he's the black Batman. And uh, he's been deputized, you know, the, the was it the mayor? I think he's like, let's just, you know, make this guy, you know, let's deputize him and we'll, we'll use him. And, you know, because he's fighting crime anyway. So they're like, let's try to make a deal with him to get him to work with us. And that way we don't have to deal with, you know, he is a vigilante, but it, by deputizing him, that kind of keeps him a little under control and hopefully they'll work together. And so it's, it's okay. Uh, I just realized Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes issue two came out. I wasn't super crazy about the first issue, but maybe I should, I should have checked out this, the second one. Oh, Naomi season two started. I really should have read this because I, I, I enjoyed the first series. Um, the TV show I'm, wasn't overly impressed when I, I mean i only watched the first episode but for some reason i think i think because it's kind of like the reverse effect where because of the show that made me kind of ignore the fact that there's a naomi comic that came out so i should check that out but we'll see i'm just i'm a little hesitant but i, I should check it out Superman, Son of Kal-El, issue nine. So this is like the crossover with with Nightwing because Tom Taylor's writing both. So we get more on uh, this uh, trust. Is that what it's called? Where John's uh, new boyfriend works at this place. And Dick has, since he has all this money that he inherited from Alfred, he's looking at investing it in this you know, truth organization, magazine, news reporting, whatever it is. And um, he kind of brings up to Lewis. He's like, Hey, you ever think about writing for this? Cause uh, you know, she's, I don't think she's working at the daily planet anymore. I mean, it doesn't really seem like it, but also what's, what's really nice about this is, is Dick is kind of sort of taking a mentoring role for Jonathan because Superman kind of was, had a presence in Dick's, life at some point even though we don't really see we haven't seen a lot of those series we've just seen like some a few here and there so i i like that they they're keeping that relationship or you know exploring it um superman versus lobo 3 came out i i don't remember if i did did i read the first issue did i talk about the first issue but it's i i 
this is a book where it's like why and uh, you know maybe there's something more to it than than i'm giving it credit for so i don't know a joker issue 13 came out and again here so i think i alluded i don't know if i officially mentioned it or not but uh bane is back here i I must have mentioned it because the confusion is bane is back here he seems like totally fine but then in task force z he's like a zombie and he's like you know on the lazarus resident resin resin (laughs) that's kind of sort of bringing him you know reanimating and bringing him back so i know i'm not the only one that has voiced confusion or or concern over that because i i did see matthew rosenberg make a comment about it and he's like uh take take a look at who's like who's writing you know the same books because you know james tynan the fourth is also involved with with joker and and was he doing i don't know if he's doing task force c or something like that but that's all fine he said yeah maybe there's a plan and that's kind of what what he was uh he was hinting at he's like hey you know have have some faith in us you know we know what we're doing there's a plan it'll, it'll make sense and all that that, that that's fine that's not never what i'm questioning i'm not not questioning that these writers know what they're doing my question is what i'm questioning is the kind of like editorial control over it if if it's a matter of like maybe joker shouldn't be released yet or maybe you know task force z should have been out earlier i mean that that's where there's a problem where there's a, a little bit of confusion and again it may not be a default of the writers it's the fault of how these books are released or whatever so that's my my problem and and also just the fact that it's it's kind of a spoiler and i I, i'm not a fan of spoilers so obviously spoiler you know bane's gonna get better i mean obviously he has to get better because why would they kill him off so no one dies in comics except for maybe maybe is alfred coming back if he comes back is he gonna want his money back from 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 dick he's like hey i give you like i don't know how much he gave him if it was billions or millions it's like i want that money back and then uh i realized trials of the amazon came out i I didn't read that and i don't know if i should i don't know anything about it but maybe it's better than i'm thinking it is i feel feel like i there was a amazon's book that came out and i read at least the first issue and i thought it was okay but then it's just like i just i kind of don't have time to invest you know in on all of these different books so i kind of didn't didn't really get into it at marvel we have the amazing spider-man 92 so uh that what was that something z the door z z door (laughs) so basically ben is trying to get away you know he wants to check on janine and to stop uh beyond and everything so he opens this door it's supposed to unleash this massive threat so spider-man has to try to stop it and misty and colleen are there too so then ben just takes off and they're like wait where is he going what's he doing and that's where it's problem because like you know that that's not something spider-man would do the way they're kind of explaining it is you know beyond has kind of messed with with ben's memories and they've removed some memories so he's not completely whole and you know he wants those memories back because you know that's that's who he is so 
he just like leaves, which is just weird. And I, I feel like this is just more of a setup or, you know, allusion to like what's coming. And I feel like because it's pretty cl- it's a it's a safe bet that they're not going to keep Ben as Spider-Man. Because, you know, we already have Peter Parker, Spider-Man. We have Miles Morales, Spider-Man. So then if we have Ben Riley Spider-Man, that might be too much. So he's probably going to change his identity completely. And I don't know. And maybe it'll be cool, but I like the Miss Scarlet Spider. And I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> and I feel like he should have the Spider-Man name before Miles Morales should. Because seniority, you know, age, maybe... I don't know. Maybe he wasn't his act. Who's had more adventures? Maybe Miles has did by this time, but I don't know. So this book, um, yeah, it's it's getting towards the end of, of of Beyond, and I don't know how. It's just they've been they got their hands in so much stuff, and you know what's going to happen with all that technology and and just all that data, that information. Then we have Captain Carter issue one. This was uh this was okay. Um, I. I you know I like the character. I like the idea of uh, you know Peggy being for you know she, first of all her being Captain you know Captain America, but Captain Carter, Captain whatever you want to call her, and just like reversing the roles. You know this is it almost feels like if you watched a What If episode that this is like continuing with that, except for one minor thing is where someone comes also tr- gets somehow into the, the the present from the past in the episode, so that hasn't been brought up here yet but uh it's it's interesting seeing how you know peggy's adjusting and what she's going to do and then uh it's it's clearly you know she's not in a, a regular marvel universe because she went the the who was it he's a not the prime minister but it's some dude where he basically is assuming that Peggy's going to want to go back into duty. You know, he's like, there's other heroes, so we need you to do this. And we've had you know, people make a new costume for you and everything. But it's like, uh, why don't you ask her? But it was just, and this dude, he's like, well, your liaison will be Elizabeth or Lizzie Braddock. So that's kind of cool. Um, it doesn't seem like, I don't think she has mutant abilities here, but maybe that'll pop up. So we'll see. Uh, Devil's Reign issue five came out. And the problem is, I think it was Daredevil Woman Without Fear that came out last week where they kind of mentioned it. So there's a spoiler. And with uh, Chip Zdarsky's uh, email or with his, his newsletter thing, I think he kind of mentions, I, I I can't read all these. these. You know, I, I try to read the those, those things. But yeah, so there's a there's a little bit of a spoiler, and it could be just be the publishing whatever thing here. And the same thing because you know we have Devil's Rain Moon Knight that's out this week, and and we already it's already clear like what happens. But anyways, with Devil's Rain five, things are 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 just heating up, cranking up. One of the things that I thought because what was mentioned spoiler, and uh, yeah, it's not really clear on the cover, but in Electra and the Daredevil woman without fear Electra finds out that matt murdoch's been killed by kingpin by wilson fisk so that's like that's a pretty big spoiler and if you didn't read Electra and i just spoiled for you i'm sorry but that's out there obviously that can't quite happen and if you've been reading because when i saw that i i was like okay i think i know what happened and that kind of makes sense so 
Kingpin's gonna. It's gonna be. I mean, it's it's still an idea. So if Kingpin thinks he killed Daredevil, and then Daredevil shows up, that's that's gonna mess with him. He's gonna be like, "What the heck is going on?" And good. So we'll have to see. But now the, the big thing is, is he is he done? Is he you know? How's he gonna get out of this one? You know, if 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 he gets cornered and it's like, hey, you just killed someone, so we'll see. Uh, Devil's Reign, Moon Knight. So with this book, the art was it was almost like it was a little, a little too not crisp or not too bright, but it, it almost didn't quite have like a, a gritty, edgy feel to it. And you know, so we have Mark Spector. He's locked up which i still understand how and why i mean it's just it's ridiculous that you have someone who's not even doing anything and they get locked up because even at this point i don't think you know moon knight doesn't have any powers so why would he go in in jail and you know i think when they cornered him i don't remember if he was dressed as moon knight or as mr knight but it just feels like a lot of people like their rights are totally being infringed on it's like oh you have superpowers even though you're not doing anything, you're going to jail, which is just ridiculous. So he's in there and uh, he finds out that there's like this, this like prison fight club type of thing that the guards are using for entertainment and, and for betting or whatever. And he wants to get in on it. And uh, we just see him like talking to other, you know, he runs into other like villains that he's kind of put in there. And like one dude's like, like, who are you or whatever? He's like, I'm the dude that, carved up your forehead you know because he had like a like a crescent scar on his head from moon knight so it's written by jed mckay and you know he's been doing a great job with the moon knight series but it's like the art was just kind of taking me out of it but then as the story as we start seeing moon knight doing more and more the art it it starts it either starts clicking or it's just a story just like pulls you in but there's (laughs) there's one moment the one he does one thing i'm just like holy crap so so that that was good. Uh, Devil's Reign Superior for issue three. I I, I started l- losing interest in this. So the idea of Otto Octavius seeking out other versions of himself in, in the multiverse. Okay, that's fine. But then it's just it almost kind of became satire where these some of these different versions of him. You know, there's a an Otto Moon Knight. Or not Moon Knight. There's an Otto, uh, a Wolverine. There's Otto Ghost Rider. There's Otto, you know. There's like all these different versions of himself are like these other characters in other multiverses. So yeah, maybe if you have an infinite amount of universes, that there could be one where this weird combination mashup happens. But there's an Otto Hulk. I, I'm just yeah. I, I'm just I, it, I just lost interest. Eternals issue ten. <laughs> I haven't been reading this the the last few episodes, issues, not episodes. But when I looked at it, I was like, "Oh, Captain Marvel is is fighting Icarus." Um, I'm assuming that's Icarus. And and when I I started reading, it's like, okay, I, I didn't read it. I just started flipping through pages, and I think Carol's only like like maybe on half a page or something like that, even though she's on the cover. So it's like, wait. And then maybe it's like, maybe I should go flip through it again or actually read it. But yeah, it didn't seem like that was quite there. But there's a other other uh, guest stars or guest appearances in there that you might be interested in. 
uh, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, issue five. So this wraps up the story here. And, you know, this was, I guess, always meant to be just like a mini series. For me, it was an okay story. Uh, the art is just because even, even uh, like, like Pizza Dog looked a little like, is this the same breed of dog that he's supposed to be? I don't know what breed of dog he is supposed to be because he's a, isn't he just a mutt? But yeah, it was just, it was just all right. You know, there, there's some, some nice moments, some, some good callbacks to other, you know, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop elements or, but it was just uh. Punisher issue one. So you'll notice like on the cover, it's, you know, Punisher in his regular costume. Punisher has recently appeared somewhere else, which I didn't mention. And he has that new design. So here we find out kind of sort of like why he has this new design. I don't really like it. It just looks kind of weird, but I guess it kind of makes sense why he's using it. And um, what's this? Let's see what this says about. Okay. I don't, Cause I don't want to spoil things in here, but things are starting to make sense. I, I feel like I should spoil this one thing. So it says, will the Punisher's war end born of tragedy devoted to war unstoppable in his rage as a Punisher Frank Castle has become the most accomplished killer in the, the world has ever seen. Now it's time for him to face his true identity. What shocking secret from Frank's past will come will convince him to take the reins of the marvel universe's most notorious clan of assassins and once frank becomes a warlord of the deadly ninjas of the hand okay spoiler so it's not a spoiler will it also mean an end for the punisher or a whole new bloody beginning join the superstar team of writer jason aaron artist jesus saiz and paul as a setup for an epic exploration of the dark and violent past and inevitable future of Marvel's most iconic characters. So basically what you get from there is the Punisher's working with the hand. And that seems like really weird, but it kind of, it kind of works out. It kind of makes sense the way it's written. Um, I'm not super crazy about the idea. I'm not completely sold on it, but if you remember, if you've been listening to me for years, you know <laughs> I loved I loved Frankencastle. I, I loved Rick Remender's Frankencastle art arc. I'm getting a little stuffy. Does this happen sometimes when I record the podcast? Or my nose, my sinuses, I don't know what's going on. So it's getting hard for me to talk. This is not a good thing because I'm like maybe a third of the way through the show. Not not even. Anyways, so the fact that I enjoyed frankencastle and i know a lot of people that probably didn't read it they're like oh that's so dumb but it's it wasn't dumb it was it was fun this could be interesting and and i i think that's where this could work because punisher isn't like my absolute favorite character and i think there's a thing because he's just basically killing people and yeah he kills people who probably deserve it and but you know the whole idea is like well shouldn't everyone have a fair try i mean if someone is clearly doing evil things then should they do they should they still get a trial why should they get a trial but you know he's being judged during executioner which you know he doesn't have that right but i don't know i mean it, it's such a i guess gray area I mean, that is there shouldn't be any debate over that that's it's you know everyone is entitled anyways so i feel like we've had so many different punisher stories and series that if we had another one, it, it almost kind of gets redundant. Even though 
you might say, well, why is, you know, why are Spider-Man stories the same thing as just him feeling guilty about Uncle Ben and him catching bad guys? But there's something, I don't know, it seems like there's more variety, more opportunities for Spider-Man to do different things. Where to punish her because he's just, he's not really an upbeat character and he's, he's just got his one mission and he's not going to really veer from it. And that's where it just could get redundant. So by him joining forces with the hand, that kind of really changes things and it could, you know, kind of take him in different er areas. And it's like, okay, what is he really going to do with that? How's that going to work? So I'm curious to see what, what happens here and you know, what, what's also what's going to happen when other people start finding out, you know, like what's going to happen when elect, I mean, I don't think Electra knows and like what's going to happen when, daredevil finds out or even someone like spider-man they're like dude so I'm, I'm really curious to see what's gonna happen there okay then we have spider gwen gwenverse um which is interesting that they call her well i i totally get why they're calling her uh spider gwen it's like her last series i i don't know if they i don't remember if it changed in the middle of the series or if it just was started the series where they're like hey we're gonna start calling her ghost spider and it makes sense. Uh, the weird thing is, even Ghost Spiders, because like in her universe, she was Spider Woman, but they don't want to call her Spider Woman because we have Jessica Drew's Spider Woman. So then they're like, well, we need something new or something different. How about Ghost Spider? Which is like weird. So they're back to calling her Spider Gwen because that's what everyone knows her as. And with with this, you know, it's uh, at first when I when I saw this, I was like, you know, Gwenverse. I was like, is this gonna be some weird? like a totally separate story or whatever but we pick up where you know gwen's on her earth and you know she's spending time on her earth and you know earth 65 and earth 616 so you know it's it's good to see her back like with her dad and him questioning things but then it, it kind of veers off a little bit and it was just oh okay for me you know i really like the character and you know i i always get bummed out when you know the series ends but I don't know if I feel like they need to figure. So moving her to 616, I think was a good thing because I don't know. Earth 65 is just really weird. And I, I feel like, you know, having her in the main Marvel universe gives a lot more opportunities, but we haven't really seen a whole lot. So I, I feel like it's, it's another matter where kind of like the whole Moon Knight thing where if it, it kind of would feel like Marvel didn't really know what to do with the character, but obviously, you know, they're doing great things with Moon Knight now. So hopefully this, this will be good. Um, Star Wars Crimson Rain issue three came out. I didn't get a chance to read that. I, I'm uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, that cover is interesting. So I, I'm definitely going to read that Star Wars Han Solo and Chewbacca came out. So this isn't, taking place in the same time period as the other star wars books because the other ones are taking place after empire strikes back so han solo is frozen in carbonite but obviously if you were to do a series with that that wouldn't be too interesting so this kind of backs up a bit and uh it backs up actually a, a bit because han is doing you know runs for job or whatever and and everything like that then he kind of gets a, a new gig but he has to work with greedo so I, I'm down with that because in the old books, which I guess are no longer canon, you know, there's been some sort of history. And we know, you know, obviously from episode four, Han knows who Greedo is and everything like that. 
So I, I like the idea of actually seeing them together and seeing why there might be a little more tension. And, you know, because like Han's like, you know, he doesn't trust Greedo, doesn't want to work with them. But, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. And Jabba's like, <laughs> it's funny when Jabba tells him the job, he's he's like, he has to split the money with Greedo because Greedo came up with this plan and everything like that. And Han's like, okay, he can get half the money, but I'm not working with them. And he's like, he's not stepping foot on the Millennium Falcon, but then finally he does. So it's, it's a, it'll, it'll be interesting to see that. So I, I enjoyed that. Strange Academy issue 17. So uh, things aren't going too well. So Calvin got expelled. Some of the kids are upset by that. I don't really, and I, I guess it's kids being kids where, you know, they don't understand how necessarily things work. The thing is, you know, Calvin, he, I guess I, I'm trying to remember exactly how I went where, you know, he, he found this like magic jacket, but then the jacket was not meant to be out in other people's hands. And, you know, it was a mistake of Dr. Strange or something like that. So they took it back and then Calvin has no magical connections. So, you know, he's having to work and try to learn his lessons, but he, he has, doesn't have this advantage anymore. So, and then he decides to go to this, uh, New Orleans voodoo dude, whatever, who's like kind of selling magic, sort of like drugs. And he he's just dabbling with stuff that he shouldn't be. You know, it's like, okay, give everyone a free sample and then you start selling it to him. So he's basically being a drug dealer. He gets busted. Um, he, he starts abusing his powers and part of it is because he felt like he didn't have anything. So now he can, you know, show up the others that, you know, he is capable of fighting back, which is just stupid on his part. So he gets busted. He, he gets expelled. It totally makes sense. But then uh, I forgot the, the character's name, but you know, this one, she gets mad that it's not fair because, you know, it, because of Dr. Strange messing up and with his coat, whatever, getting into Calvin's hands, eventually it's their fault for allowing that and then taking it away from him. So he shouldn't be expelled, but it's like he was selling drugs in a sense, you know, selling dark magic. So I think the kids are kind of doing like a walkout or whatever. And so it's like, what's going to happen with, with the Academy? Cause I, I think, uh, I don't know if there's one more issue left, but I think, I don't know if the series is ending. So we'll see Thor issue 23. So it's more Thor, versus uh Mjolnir so God of Hammers part five yeah things are are kind of brought to a conclusion what does this mean uh because this is like very bold you know big big changes for Thor so you know there is this other being whatever who's in in Mjolnir and is not happy with being you know kept locked up in there and uh this is going to change you know Mjolnir is not Mjolnir anymore and so it's like how Thor can't just go back to having his hammer and it feels like even though he doesn't necessarily have to have Mjolnir you know he has other abilities but it feels like he should that's just it'd be like you know Spider-Man without his web shooters you know it's like he doesn't need them to you know fight the bad guys but it's like that's just part of his that's who he is all that's kind of resolved and everything like that and uh we kind of see the next step, like where it's going to go. And it's, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see how, how it all fit together. So we have that venom issue six. Uh, I, I am not super crazy about this series and, you know, part of it is with Dylan being venom and it's like, where's Eddie Brock? Cause you know, it's like, Oh, he died. No, he's not dead. And you know, he's out in space and 
and it's it's just it, it bothers me the fact that how Dylan was like you know it was like he was like you know seven six or seven years old and now he's like somehow like like 15 i feel, feel like you know he's like just suddenly aged and i just i, I don't know there's something it's just you know i i enjoyed king and black but i almost felt like it was too much and you know so we're still like seeing this this like spillage you know remnants from from follow-up from that story which is, is fine but i just feel like there's there's too too much going on okay now I've been confused with the the ex deaths or whatever of Wolverine. It all kind of makes sense now because the books came and came out at the same time. So we have ex deaths of Wolverine and ex lives of Wolverine. So that's why I've been so confused. There's a book with Moira, then there's a book with like uh, Omega Red and Wolverine bouncing through time, kind of like Quantum Leap style. So two completely books. I think what kind of threw me off. I remember. I think I might remember the press release that mentioned there was two books, but somehow I missed that. The logos are, you know, you see like deaths and, and lives, kind of like mirror image. So these books kind of go like like hand in hand. So I, I think that's what kind of threw me off is when I would go when I would talk about it. Even if I would have said like X deaths or whatever, X, I, I just, it didn't really register, didn't really sink in. I was just kind of like an automatic, an autopilot, you know, just saying here's in this book. So now it, it kind of makes sense. So with X deaths of Wolverine, this is where we get this Falnix, uh Wolverine from the future coming into pass. And, and there's like all the stuff like, well, what is Moira doing? And should she be stopped or she should not be stopped? And you know we're we're getting we're kind of seeing more of like the the bigger picture like why he's back and seeming seeming so savage or whatever. So I don't know where it's going to go from there, and I'm not really sure what what's going to happen with Moira because you know, we saw I think it was an Inferno where you know she's outed people didn't know she was alive, and you know Mystique and Destiny are they are not happy with her. They want to kill her, and you know they're. they're desperately trying to, to to get her and just a whole thing with with all this you know house of x and everything where jonathan hickman has set up that you know she was a mutant and she was like living you know she's lived through these lives so she sees and then once she basically gets reincarnated she jumps back and you know lives her life over but she retains the knowledge so she can use that and build and change and fix things and make things different and she's been doing that now the fact that all that's been kind of taken away, the fact that um, I don't even know who made the decision. Was it Forge that just flat out decided that they're going to, and maybe it was, no, I think it was Mystique that, that shot her with the the depowering gun. And it's just like, why does Forge still have it active? You know, I don't remember if they, they mentioned why. There's still one, you know, so yeah, things. I don't know what's gonna happen with Moira, and uh, it just seems weird that you know they had all this build up with you know her and her, her powers and everything, and now I don't know if Krakoa is about to crash and burn. You know, it's all gonna go away. So that'll be be weird. Then X Lives of Wolverine. I'm not enjoying this one so much, and I think it's the Omega Red thing because I just I don't care for Omega Red, and I feel like I've missed how and why he's going through time and jumping through other people and like trying to just basically cause mischief. And I still remember the days where, you know, you couldn't time travel in the Marvel universe. So like if you went back in time, you created an alternate universe and it was going to have no impact 
on the present because you just created an alternate timeline. So I don't know. I just, I'm just not, not digging this book so much. And then X-Men legends issue 12. So if you look at the cover, we have Nightcrawler and Shadowcat, Kitty Pride. And so this is taking place like before uh, Excalibur. And so like right after Fall of the Mutants. And so that, that's awesome. You know, Chris Claremont writing it. Um, unfortunately, um, I don't think we, we don't have Alan Davis. Did he just do the cover? Uh, yeah. So Scott Eaton pencils, Lorenzo Ruggiero does the inks. So yeah, Alan Davis did the cover. So it would have been awesome if Alan Davis could have done the interiors, but you know, he doesn't do as many interiors as he used to. So, um, the art, I mean, I, I, I dig Scott Eaton's art, but it's it just because I was so into the Chris Claremont, Alan Davis comics, you know, even because, you know, he did Captain Britain before, like early, it just, it, it felt a little off. And the story itself, it didn't like grab me. So it, it, it was just like, okay. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, it's like, I don't know why I always end on like not excited note, but um, okay, so that means that that's the end of the comics for the week. So sorry to not be super excited at the end there. All right, with Snowpiercer season three, episode seven, Auroboros. Uh, so this is an episode I was like kind of dreading it when I saw the preview last week because it's like Leighton is in a coma. So he's basically dreaming and he's seeing everyone, but it's like not them and everything. So it was better than I thought, than, so than I feared. So Leighton wakes up, he's in pain, but it's like, it's really bright. So it's like different. It's not like, um, it's not like a, the, the light from the snow. It's more of like a, a yellowish bright light, yellowish brownish light. He hobbles out of bed and he sees like a bunch of cables hanging from the ceiling and like in the hallway and, and like leading to engineering. So he goes, there's just like no one there. He kind of noticed like this skull symbol on the wall. Then a couple uh, guys grab him from behind, put a bag over his head. And he's like, he's like, you know, ask where they are. They're about to inject him with something. Then Wolford stands in a doorway. He's like wearing like this white suit and a hat. So it, it kind of just gave me a whole kind of like Cuba Habana feel or so, just something. And I don't know if that was like, the intention or something like that so then he's like hello chaps and then there's a couple people with him and they shoot the other dudes and wilford tells one he's like you know to clean Leighton up and it's it's javi but it's like it almost doesn't look like he has like a beard and everything like that and then the other person who was with him was ruth so it's just like what and then they they kind of like look in his pockets and there's like a, a the hula girl bobble in his pocket and then they they leave him they're they're like they tell him they're like, gonna come along or whatever like that they say he's going to need papers across the borders and he's just like he's confused he's like what the heck is going on and then there's like this little girl walking in a hall and he walks by armed soldiers and he ends up in this big room where people are like reading and playing chess and he sees till then he he goes up to her he's like oh i want i want to i'm ready to wake up from this nightmare or whatever and he gets like shushed you know people are playing chess or something like that and and then she's till's like hey buddy she's like you got to get your poop together she's like you're not dreaming you're dying so it's like, okay, what's going on there? Um, and then we see him. He's in a actual world. <laughs> he's lying on the floor where he fell last episode with Pike's body. Then uh, Josie and Zeke they go to find Leighton because you know it's like he did his 
hanging bonding time with Pike's dead body or whatever. So they're you know they they find him laying on the floor. So then they're like, oh no. So Leighton uh, like snapping he's snapping his fingers, his face. He's trying to wake himself up, and Till's like it's like cool it or you know you'll get us both thrown in a slammer. And she's like, you know, you can't mess around here. And he's like, where is here? And she's like, Snowpiercer. He's like, this is not Snowpiercer. And she's like, it is, but it isn't. And, you know, Leighton's going to, he'll recognize people, but they're not the same as over there. So she's says that she is a librarian. So she knows a few things and he's still carrying residue from the, his world or the other Snowpiercer, but it's, it'll fade. He'll get used to it here, but he's like, but I have to get home. Then she's like, well, then you're going to have to talk to the tail boss, and it's dangerous. So he mentions Wilford pretending to be his friend and then saying he'd need papers, and she's like, oh, papers? She's like, I can help you with that. So in the real Snowpiercer, Leighton gets incubated. You know, they shove the tube down his throat, and he's like in a coma. So Till, the librarian, takes Leighton to the forger, and she says that, you know, the longer he's there, the harder it will be to get back to the other side. And she's like, do not get lost. And then she like slices his hand. He's like, what? He's like, why did you, you know? And she's like, you don't have long. She's like, the cut will guide you. He's like, okay, it doesn't make any sense. So he knocks on the door. Turns out the forger is Ben. So he starts making his password. And then Leighton asks if it'll get him to the tail. And Ben's like, what do you have a death wish? And Leighton's like, like, no, the opposite. He's like, he wants to get to the tail. He needs to get a tail so he can leave. But if he wants to get a tail, he has to go to the cartographer. So then before Ben, the forger, hands the password over to Leighton, he's like, I'm going to need something from you in, in return. So he's like, you know, two operatives were, were taken out, up-trained, and word is that he was involved. So he wants to know who pulled the trigger. And Leighton thinks, and he's like, I don't know, and I don't rat. He's like, keep your damn papers. And he starts walking away. Then Ruth pops out. And he's like, hey, Ruth, like, what's up? And she's like, oh, it was a test. It's like, you know, basically they didn't want to see if he got caught. They they want to know if they could trust him. So since he didn't say anything, they're like, okay, he didn't say to, you know, Wilford's men or whoever did this. So he gets his paper and she's like, you know, like, I got my eye on you. You know, I'll be, you know, keeping track of what you're doing. So Leighton is still out. Ben comes and checks on him. The doc's like, he's stable. You know, you can see him now. He's in a coma. He's, I guess he's been in a coma for 12 hours now. His, his brain is swelling, but his pupils are responding. So that's a good sign. They say that it's just a waiting game and they're welcome to stay. So then Till's like, okay, I got to go. And she just like takes off. She's, you know, leaves. Ben tells Josie that he has to get back to the engine. So she's like, I'll go too. And then Zara's like, oh, you can stay. She's like, he'd, he'd want that. And she's like, really? Leighton meets up with, uh, in, in his coma world, he meets up with Leighton, or Leighton meets up with Wilfred and the others. He asks Ruth, or Wilfred asks Ruth, he's like, oh, he passed. And he's like, they'll cross the border individually. Uh, you know, it'll be a lot of yes or no questions. So he's like, just stick to your cover story and you'll be fine. And then Leighton asks Javi, he's like, what's my cover story? And Javi's like, are you joking? And he's, he's like, you know, he tells him to say that he's a dancer. So when you get to like the border area, there's like a couple guards there and like LJ's one of the border patrol agents and she's like, why were you up train? And then he's like, I'm a dancer. And she's like, oh, I love the ballet. And he's like, uh, it's it's a modern, you know, modern dance. He's like there's a recital because he like saw this poster like on the wall and he's like, dance is the hidden language of the body and soul. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I missed it. And then so he's allowed to go through. On the real train, 
Till walks very determinedly to like this. At first, I was like, "Is this her bunk?" He's like, "Where's she going?" So she goes in this room, and she just starts like sobbing. And then it turns out like Aubrey's there for some reason. So I think this is the. I don't know if this is the if there's multiple places like this place where there's kind of like a skylight. So she's just like there reading. So I guess she's given free reign now. She can go where she wants. So she says that you know she's just hiding out and. Then uh, you know, she's like, oh, I can leave. And she's like, oh, I heard about Leighton. She's like, I'm sorry. And Till's like, yeah, sure you are. And then uh, then this Audrey's like, I've never seen you cry before. He's like, you know, you don't need to hide it. But that's the thing. If someone, if you catch someone crying or whatever, you don't say, I've, you know, they're probably like embarrassed or whatever. So you don't just like kind of say, but she's like, you don't, you don't need to hide it. And she's like, she's, I think she said like Leighton was her best friend or something like that. And, you know, there's nothing that she can do now. So she's like, bye, Audrey. So she's basically, she's like, just just leave, go. Then Audrey's like, you know, she's like, you can talk to him. You know, he's still in there. And she reminds him, you know, you just t- tell him what, like what he's fighting for or whatever. Which is kind of weird that Audrey would suggest that, you know, because obviously she's anti-latent and she's all about Wilford for whatever reason. And until's like, you should do it, you know, like you did in the night car, you know, you would get in people's heads. And she's like, please. So Leighton and the others in the coma world, they make it to, I, th- I think it's, this is supposed to be like the night car. It's like this dining car. Now, Wilfred goes there and you know, he's still in his white suit. He like dances, Javi and Leighton go to the bar and he gets a, like a shot and he's like, this is rum. And he's, he's surprised. And cause he's like, oh, it takes me back or whatever. Because you know they he hasn't had rum since probably before all the snow stuff happened. So then Javi shows him a bag with a bunch of guns inside. Then Leighton like excuses himself. He says he's gonna go to the bathroom. Ruth doesn't like um, really want him to leave. So Wilford then uh, he's like, oh, just let him breathe or whatever. And then lights. So lights uh, was the bartender. She follows him and he's going through like the market area and then he ducks into his room and he finds Zara. So Zara it turns out is a cartographer. And, you know, but she doesn't know who he is, but he's like, oh, you remind me of someone or something like that. And then she gives him this riddle that was mentioned before. So he, he needs a, he needs a word, but, you know, she doesn't know or, or something like that. So Javi and Lights find him. Ruth pulls a gun on him and he's, he says that they, you know, really need him or they wouldn't have brought him this far. So, you know, he's kind of like calling their bluff. Wilford says that, you know, they need him for this meeting and, you know, after that is, is another story. So after the meeting, then, you know, then they can kill him if they want. So they go to this other car. I think it's like the, the third class dining car or something like that. So Alex is at the door and, and she's got like this tattoo on her neck or whatever. Roche is there. So Roche is sitting at this table. He calls Leighton Ford. He's like, just him. So there's, um, there's a lot of like Spanish, like Havana, again, music playing and everything. They, they get like this plate of oysters. So Leighton takes one and he's just like, oh you know just like relishes it you know because it's it's been so long then um he's trying to make this deal happen between roche and wilford roche is like you know as long as he gets what's what he needs you know it's fine then wilford puts uh the hula hobble bobble on a, on a table roche puts his box and they open it and it's like it's like a doll in there i don't know if at first i was like is that winnie's doll and then you know alex inspects the hula and everything like that she's like it, it's legit so it looks like the deal is good. Then, unfortunately, it, things start to go go bad. LJ and a couple guards come in, and they're like, "By the power invested in me, whatever." He's like, "You're all under arrest," or something like that. So the guns come out. Everyone's shooting on both sides. Lots of shooting. Um, and I, at first, I'm like, "Is anyone getting hit?" But then it looks like it's mostly the diners are getting hit. But then you see Javi, Roche, 
Alex, they all got, got hit. So Leighton's crawling. It ends up by LJ and she's like, get up. And then he's taken to the brig. She locks him up and, and says that, you know, he's in a world of trouble. And he's like, well, you know, why am I not surprised that you're like this over here too? And, you know, she doesn't know what, what he's taught me he means by that, but she's like, there'll be a firing squad at midnight. And he's like firing squad. And then Pike is there and he's like sitting across from him and he's like, he asked him if he wants forgiveness. So he's like a preacher there. So it's just like, that's exactly what Leighton needs. Right. So then Till brings, uh, Audrey in, in the real snow piercer Till brings Audrey to see Leighton. And so I was like, why is she here? And then Till says that, you know, she worked uh, with her in the night cars. Like, you know, you know what, what he can do. So Zara's like, well, I guess it can't hurt. She asks Josie, do you want to go get a cup of coffee? So they, they leave. And so Audrey tells Leighton, she's like, you know, listen to his breathing. If he can, if, you know, he can hear her her whatever, move towards his voice or something like that. And he's like, think about your daughter. And, you know, hold on to something that isn't real. And then it's like his hand starts switching. And then she, in, his, in the, the coma train, she unlock she's there she unlocks the prison and she tells him that well you know whatever's keeping him there he has to face it and come home so he gets out of the, the little little brig he walks down this hall he moves towards like the back and it's, it's like kind of like a jungle and everything he finds wilford and you know he got shot in the gut and he says that you know he caught a bullet whatever Leighton he tells Leighton he has to keep going go to the tail he's like you're nearly there then he hands Leighton a doll and Leighton's like what is it wilford's like it's it's their gift to the tail boss so the real wilford is like sitting on his bunk in the library then he starts looking at books alex goes in and she's like i recognize this you know he, he's like you've glommed onto something she's like this you know step one research frenzy step two would be to soak in a bathtub if you still had one then he's like i need some charts and stuff like that and she's like you know why should i help you zara and josie are talk you know they, they mention like old ivan's way or whatever and zara's like it's like yeah i hated a lot of our our old ways but you know it used to bug zara about, about josie but she says that you know it does it anymore and then she says that her and and andre are better as co-parents but it's like i thought they were together i thought i thought they're more than just co-parents then she says, you know, she should have never turned her back on her. And Josie's like, oh, you know, your back was against the wall. You know, I don't blame you. But Zara says that, you know, she's glad that Andre has Josie too or something like that. So in the coma train, Leighton gets to the Taylor door and, um, you know, he like, there's a little thing. Then Josie's at the, the door and she's like, what do you want? And he asks, he's like, are you the tail boss? And then she's like, doesn't answer it. But then he like answers the riddle or whatever. I forgot what it was, but it turned out like the answer was death. You know, who am I if I do this or whatever? So he, she takes him back to like the back of the train. There's this girl sitting like on a bed and there's like stacks of like skulls and bones, like on both sides. And he's like, you run the train. And she's like, yes, I, I do. Then he's like, you know, how, how do I get out of the loop? And because, you know, there's this map that he, he saw before about like snake eating his tail or whatever. And then, you know, she sees that he has some, she's like, is, is that, you know, do you have a gift? And She's like, I have something too. So she hands him a letter and it has Zara's handwriting. She asks him to read it to her. So it's a letter that she wrote before she was born and it has like the necklace in it. And it's like, you are, aren't just my child. You are the future. And then he's like, Liana. And she's like, hi. Then he's like, no, he's like, this isn't your future. He's like, it's not. And he's like, I'm going to go back and get you out of this. He's like, you know, I can break the cycle. And she's like, look at what you brought me you're not here to face your death he opens a dowel 
and Pike's bombs inside. And she's like, you're here to face mine. So the clock ticks down and he yells out her name. And then, then he sees the tree. He sees other things. And then he's like lying somewhere else. He gets like slapped awake. And it's like Asha. And he's like, what are you doing here? You know, Liana was supposed to send him hell home. But she's like, this is home. And he sits up and he's wearing like the big, like bulky cold suit. Then he he looks at like the cut in his hand. And he sees this open locker. Um, there's like a lock in it. So then um, Asha like closes, uh, you know, because he, he's like, he's close to the answer. She slams the locker shut. She's like, don't look in there. So then later, Asha says, you know, lunch is ready. It's like tomato soup and grilled cheese. So he has a, a memory and he's like, what's in the locker? And you can hear like music. So then he tries opening the locker and he's like, what are you, you keeping for me? And then he takes keys from her. There's like a little struggle or whatever. And she's like, you know, you're not going to like what you find in there. So then they hear this big noise and they put on their helmets and, you know, they have guns they have big old lights on their helmet so this this thing that always is weird i think you know whenever someone's like walking in dark you got these basically you're telling someone whoever you're looking for it's like oh there's a big light coming so that means you know you're giving them a target never really understood that so then this dude jumps down the hole like where like when they went to when they found asha like where they, they fell in where ben fell in so they're, they're shooting and stuff like that. And it's like, wait, did Asha get hit? And then Leighton ducks and he goes into the other room. He's like hides. And then he shoots when it when it comes around and there's like blood splatters on the wall. It's just like in, in real life, there was like blood on the wall there. So he runs back to check on Asha. He gets attacked by someone in a suit. Then like someone else comes in and starts attacking the other person. And Leighton lies on his back and then he sees a tree. And he's like, this is where it started. This is where I first saw New Eden. So he gets up, he goes to the locker and and she's like you don't need to look in there and he sees this old calendar and there's a picture of a giant tree that he keeps seeing in his mind and then she's like you know you told me not to let you see it then he says to himself he's like i made it up and then he wakes up in the real world and zara's like doctor and he calls a doctor so till goes to um that one area again with the, like skylight and audrey's there reading and she tells him that the doc says he's gonna be okay so she thanks her audrey's like you're a good friend, Andre. She's like, you know, you care so much for others, but you don't let others care for you. And she's like, why is that? And Till's just like, it's been a long day. So she's like, I'm not going to get into this. Then, you know, later Josie goes to check on Leighton and, uh, you know, Zara hugs her. Leighton is just lying there. And she's like, are you right? And he finally says, you know, what if I was so desperate to give everyone a future that I made one up? He's like, I can't lead this train if it's all a lie, if all I have is a lie. And then Wilfred's looking at books and maps and he asks Alex after they, you know, went to this one place where he's like, you know, what route did, did you take? And she's like, I'm not going to tell you that. And she's like, what is all this? You know, there's like all these maps and stuff on this big table. And, you know, he says that after their train separated, you know, he tried to follow their trail and, you know, to try to guess their intentions, you know, figure out, you know, long-term trajectory. And, you know, cause he's like, if he couldn't catch up with them, he had to intercept them. So he's trying to figure out where they're going and, you know, to try to take a different route. So they go up to like, you know, the, the, in the library, there's like the second level, like just little, you know, more books and stuff like that. So they go up there and then he kind of like looks down and, you know, gets her to look down. So on the big table, he laid out like all these maps. So it's kind of like to make the whole world and everything. And he kind of used ribbon to trace the trails. So he mentions like the switch track or something like that. You know, he followed it, but there was no sign of him. And she's like, yeah, that you're on the wrong continent. She's like, we were never near France. Then he's like, you know, if it wasn't you, then who was it? And she's like, maybe it was just a signal error. He's like, no. He's like, I think it was your mother. I think Melanie's still alive. But 
Okay, and, and that's what I've been saying. So, you know, she supposedly died. You know, she left this message, but we never saw a frozen body. So, like, what happened to her? You know, she was trying to do all these tests and everything like that. And then she's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to, you know, get picked up by the train. So, I'm just going to go. I'm going to dig my uh, dig under the snow and just freeze to death. And so, may, I guess she must have found something else. But then I don't know. Maybe she's trying to follow them, but then you know they're they're going too fast, and I have no idea. It's, but I hope she's still alive because that would just it the way it happened. It just seems kind of ridiculous, and the fact that we never saw a body, so I I don't buy it that that she's dead. So we'll see. Okay, with Superman and Lois, season two, episode seven, anti-hero. So Superman wakes up, everything's red. Morgan Edge is there, so he's in the, the cot in that prison library room. Then, oh my gosh, I cannot stand Anderson. He shows up like this big baby, and Superman's like, you need to let me out. And Anderson superly responds. He's like, actually, I don't. I've been given full command of this operation. And he, he says that his arrest was sanctioned by the General Hard Hardcastle. I think that was her name. And Superman's like, you know, I need to get answer from the other, and then when you know, then he can stand trial. And Anderson's like, I don't care about standing trial. He's like, Where is he? And Superman says nothing. He's like, Fine, you can ride here with your brother. So then he walks away. Superman calls him. He's like, Anderson. He's like, There's a bigger threat here. It's like her name is Ali Alston. She's a cult leader. And he's like, You know, whatever brought my the other here, he's you know, she's more dangerous. And he's like, If you don't believe me, you know, look into her yourself. And Anderson nods his, his peon. He's like, whoever this woman turns out to be, it changes nothing. When I return, you will give me the location of my suspect. And then Edge is like, now that we're alone, he's like, you know, why don't you spin me a tale, tale and tell me about this monster you're after? So Sam tells Lois where Superman is. That he's being held with the DOD. He's with Edge. His contact doesn't know for how long, but he's being charged with treason. And Lois, she's like, she wants to go do something. And he's, he's like, you can't just barge in making demands. And then, then he's like, you know, let me make some calls. And she's like, you've been making calls all night. So it's like, you know, she's like, we need to get him out of there. And he says that he'll go over and see if he can get a face-to-face with the general. The boys walk down, ask if there's any update. What I'm more curious is, like, is there any update with, like, where's Natalie? <laughs> you know, it's like she's just living in a hospital now and she's not going to school anymore. So it's just weird how whatever so then jordan's like he's like why don't you write an article that the dod took superman and she's like you know just like they would just deny it trust me and she's like you know you guys have to keep your yourselves busy after school while me and grandpa try to figure this out so whatever's going on between you you have to figure it out and then she just leaves then jordan just grabs his lunch and walks out of the kitchen without saying a word to jonathan Lana's like looking at this box of old stuff. It's like a bunch of Kyle stuff, I guess. And she sees like, you know, there's a bunch of like sobriety chips and everything like that. Sarah helps bring out some stuff to the garage, you know, and because she didn't want Sophie to see it. Then uh, Lana, you know, after Sarah goes back inside, Lana sees like a paper in the driveway and there's a picture of Mayor Dean. An evening with George Dean, the value of family values. So basically, Mayor Dean wants a whole like it's a little meeting and insinuate that, you know, Lana has no family values because her husband's cheating on her or whatever. So Sarah's at school. She's looking at a picture uh, before the quinceanera. Like, you know, they're all all dressed up. She's looking at her phone and she gets a call from her dad, but she ignores it. Jordan comes up and he's like, oh, are you going to first period? And she's like, I, I don't know. I haven't decided. And he's like, did you sleep last night? She's like, no. And she's like, you know, she found out her dad is moving out. 
then they see you know the police pull up to the school so it's like something's going on candace goes up to jonathan's locker she gives him like this huge bag of inhalers and he gives him back he's like i i think i'm done and she's like you can't just stop she's like you're starting quarterback now then the principal i'm assuming is the principal walks in into the hall with a cop and a police dog tells everyone to step away from their lockers candace knows it's it's about the the xk and she wants jonathan to take it and she's like you know if i get caught with it my dad will get in trouble from the people who took it from or whatever and he's like okay i'll take it and just dump it and he's like i'm a good kid so if, you know they won't check him or something like that but then the dog starts barking so he's busted so lois is at smallville gazette she's talking to her dad and he wants her to hang tight um then you know lana comes in the paper about dean going for family values and lois is like yeah i know she's like unfortunately his campaign can print whatever they want lana's like how much did he pay for this and lois is like three thousand dollars lana's like i can't afford that and lois is like you know if it were up to me i'd run your ads for free every day up you know to the election but that would violate every campaign law imaginable and Lana's like, you know, what can I do? It's like, you know, he has the power of his office and the town gossip. And Lois is like, you have the truth. It's like, don't underestimate the power of it. There's plenty of time to beat him. You just need to catch him off guard. Then uh, she gets a call. She's like, he was caught with what? So Jonathan's going to be in trouble. At the DOD, Edge is going on about how, you know, he's done so much for humanity. And now he's there. And Edge is like, you know, I'm on your side. You know, like I, I tried helping you. He's like, you attacked my son. And Edge is like, uh, yeah, that was an oversight. Then Anderson walks in. Last chance, Superman. Where's my suspect? So he's he says that he you know, he asked him to look into Allie Alston. If he did, then he knows what they're up against. If you know, if he did, then you know he needs to talk to General Hardcastle. And Anderson's like, I told you, I'm in command now, and I want that thing to kill my team. And he's like, but if you won't tell me where he is, maybe he will. And he looks at. He motions his soldiers going to jail into the cell around Edge. And he's like, you Kryptonians have so many secrets. He's like, he probably knows about the location of the hidey hole. And Edge is like, assuming this is true, he's like, what would you offer? And the guards like force him to his knees. And Anderson's like, simple, I'll make the pain stop. They put like some this collar around his neck. It's like a kryptonite collar or something like that. And then Edge is like in just huge agony. Sarah comes home. Lana immediately asks, she's like, do you know anything about Jonathan Kent taking stuff from the mines? And she's like, uh, yeah, I had a, you know, how was your day or something like that? You know, she, she's like, no, I didn't know anything. She's like, Jordan's freaking out. And Lana's like, you know, promise me, you know, well, what, the, not to smoke space drugs? She's like, yeah, I'm not that stupid. She gets another call from her dad. She ignores it. Lana's like, asks if she's all right. She's like, yeah. And she's like, no. She's like, you know, I can't talk to Jordan about this stuff. You know, he doesn't have problems with his dad and, you know, whatever. And then Lana's like, you know, it might be helpful to vent to a friend. And she's like, do you, you know, have anyone else that, you know, you could trust? Lois talks to Jonathan. So there's like 20 inhalers in the bag. And he's like, I was just going to get rid of them. And she's like, do not lie to me. Not today. And, you know, she says, I'm going to ask. And you're going to be honest. Are you selling drugs? And he's like, No. And he's says he's like it's technically it's not even drugs. And she's like the, the sheriff's not even pressing charges, and she yells. She's like tell that to the school. It's like they're meeting right now to discuss whether or not to have you expelled. And she's like you know what were you doing with so much of it? And he pauses. He's like I can't tell you that. Then she's like if you ever want to leave this house again, you better. He's like I can't rat. Then she's like she says that you know she's so upset and she's like I trusted you. Your father will be too. And Jordan walks in and <laughs> Lois is like were you involved with this? 
and Jordan's like, I just found out the other night, you know, Jonathan admits that he found out when Tommy, you know, used XK and, and, you know, called him out. So he hasn't used it since. And she's like, you were using the stuff. And he's like, for a couple of weeks, he says, you know, Timmy was using it. So he didn't think that he couldn't, if he wanted to keep up. And she's like, who are you? And so she's like, you know, I've had enough at this point for today. Get upstairs. And I think she's, I don't remember. She's like, both of you get up there. She's like, Jordan didn't even do anything. Although I guess he didn't say anything earlier. So Anderson is like crouching, you know, get like eye level with Ed. She's like, tell me where he is before the kryptonite kills you. And Zerman's like, Anderson, you don't understand what you're asking me to do. That suspect may have knowledge they need, you know, that we need to stop something terrible. Anderson calmly says like, I don't care. Then he asks Edge if he's willing to die for it, for his brother who put him here. And Edge is like, brother, please. Superman finds like, enough. He's like, and he gives him coordinates. So he tells him, he's like, take it off. And he's like, thank you for your cooperation. So they leave. Edge says that in Kryptonian, he's like, those coordinates are for your fortress in the Arctic. And Superman's like, it should keep him busy for, for now. And Edge is like, but when he returns, he's going to kill me. And he's like, what will you do then, brother? Lois goes over to Lana. She apologized. She's like, I know you're going through a lot. I just need to talk. And, you know, she's like, so they're sitting in, in the living room. She's like, you know, Jonathan claims he's not selling. She's like, I'm not sure if I believe him. You know, he only admitted that he used it when his brother outed him. Then Lana's like, what did Clark say? And she's like, he doesn't know. And, you know, she's afraid when he finds out that um, he'll never forgive him. So she's, so, you know, she's like, how do I have no idea this was going on? And Lana's like, you know, don't blame yourself. And Lois is like, you know, I don't understand how you know, they could have secrets like this or why he did it. And Lana's like, you know, after Sarah's suicide at- attempt, I needed to hear why she did it, you know, for myself. When we finally talked about it, I realized the best thing I could do was just listen. So even if the answer wasn't what I wanted to hear, it let her know that I was there for her no matter what. Then Lois thinks, you know, she's, you know, she's like, I think Mayor Dean made a huge mistake bringing up family values against you. And Lana's like, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that, I'm still the one with a husband who cheated on her. And Lois is like, but still, you're a great mother. So accusing a good mother of being a bad one is bad politics. And Lana's like, yeah, you're right. She's like, you know, I I need to call him out. You know, just take the fight to him. Candace texts Jonathan. She's like, are you all right? She's like, I'm so sorry for getting in trouble and all stuff like that. And Jordan, you know, hears the phone. He's like, oh, is that your supplier freaking out? And Jonathan's like, you know, just shut up. And Jordan's like, he kind of accuses him. And he's like, oh, are you selling it to the whole team and everything like that? And John's like, I wasn't. And he's like, you know, he won't tell him who he got it from. He thought he could get rid of it. And if he got caught, you know, he'd just be in a little bit of trouble. So he's like, you know, could you just please, you know, just leave me alone. Edge and Superman talk some more. Edge says that, you know, he was willing to let them torture him. Superman's like, he's like, I'm a prisoner just like you. Edge is like, yeah, but you can negotiate your way out. You know, I'm here permanently unless he's like, I do know a few of your secrets. So Anderson is in his command room. He's like watching through her cameras as they approach the location. And he tells them, he's like, you know, be careful if it's there. And then they're like, it appears to be empty. Then he's like, damn it. He lied to me. It's like, oh, cry, baby, cry. Go on. It made me think of Christmas story. So this your man stands up. Um, then he's like, he's like, don't threaten me. And Edge goes on about how Superman isn't the one being forced down to his knees. And he like slams him against the wall. Like, and his hands are by his throat. Then Edge like headbutts him, whatever sort of like. So a soldier, meanwhile, finds something. 
and he holds up to the camera. Anderson's like, that's that thing's suit. Superman must have warned him that they were coming. It's like, how? That's <laughs> so stupid. It doesn't make any sense. He's like, they've been working together. And I'm just like, oh, my God. He's like, and there's the proof. That makes zero sense. So Edge is like slugging Superman. Superman finally starts fighting back. Edge is just like slugging him over and over again. The soldiers come in and order them to stand apart. Like, that's an order. So Anderson's peon says that Hardcastle's on the line. She's been trying to get a hold of him. So maybe he doesn't have as much. Uh, I don't think he has permission. Like he's trying to insinuate that he, he does. So he's like, hold her off. He's like, at least until I get something. Then he wonders, like, you know, what the heck is going on in the prison? So soldiers are pointing guns at Edge. Superman's lying on the ground. And they're like, is he breathing? Edge is like, he's Superman. Of course he is. Then uh, one soldier tells the other, he's like, check his pulse. And Anderson starts yelling. He's like, they're Kryptonians. Get your men out of there. Fall back. Fall back. Superman grabs the soldier, slams him to the floor. Edge, you know, grabs a rifle from, you know, the soldier, points at him. Superman tells him to stop, but Edge is like, oh, just let me have my fun. And then he shoots a light panel above the soldier. Somehow, it causes all the lights, including, like, the red sunlight to go out. So it's like, couldn't he just, like, smash that panel? I mean, I don't know, maybe it's something higher. So they start getting their powers back, and Edge is like, oh, I missed this feeling. And then, then here comes the cavalry. So he's like, oh, that's my cue. So Edge darts off. Superman is left standing there. Anderson and the others arrive. They like stare at each other. They like lock eyes. And then Superman zips out. So um, Anderson assumes that they've been working together. It's like, oh, my God. It's like, this is so annoying. It's like such an annoying villain, even though he's not a villain, whatever. So he's, he's going to end this before Hardcastle can take command back. So he goes into his room. He opens his crate. And there's like all these XK inhalers. And he says that he's going to kill the bad guys and bring Superman back one way or another. So Superman arrives at Edge's fortress. Edge is already there because he you know left a few, you know, a few seconds earlier. Lara says, she's like, Edge said that you escaped to prison and have joined forces. And he's like, he's like, no. We had no other, I had no other choice. So Edge goes on about the glory of the Kryptonian brothers off together. Then he makes fun of Bizarro because of his speech. And then Lara says that he speaks backwards. She does something, changes it so they can understand him. And Bizarro's like, this man betrayed my family. And Superman's like, oh, that sounds familiar. Edge is like, oh, there must be more to it than that. And Bizarro's like, no. He's like, you know, we were as close as brothers can be. And Edge asks, he's like, what separated them? Greed? power and bizarre is like no your wife tried to kill me and edge is like surprised like oh I, I had a wife so then we see sarah sitting at a diner she meets her uh, her friend aubrey so it's a girl from camp that she kissed and so her friend had to drive like two hours to get there and sarah's like it's like oh you know i'm sorry it's like i shouldn't have ghosted you after camp and she's like no i get it she's like you know you had a boyfriend you didn't want to get weird sarah's like yeah but it was rude she's like i wanted to apologize and Aubrey's like, okay, you know, that's that's fine, thanks. But she's like, I figured there's more of her than that. You know, there's another reason you wanted me to come. And Sarah's like, my life's falling apart. And, you know, my dad cheated on my mom. And, you know, so apparently Aubrey is a child of divorce. She's like, you know, so she says something. She's like, I'm, I'm there. F I'm here for you. She's like, but I want some fries first. She's like, I'm starving. So Sarah talks about her dad calling like all the time. And Aubrey's like, yeah, I also froze out my dad after divorce for like a year. Didn't fix the marriage or anything. Just made me angry and mean. And and then, you know, Sarah talks some more about all the stuff like that. And Sarah's like, you're awesome. And she's like, 
I'm going to hold that to you. So this girl, whoever was cast as, uh, it just, I don't know, her, her delivery and just her like persona, her, it just, it felt off. Cause like the, the actress playing Sarah is like, I feel like she's a, she's a good actress. I mean, she, all, all the actors, I mean, everyone is delivering their lines or performances are just really great. But this, this just kind of threw me off for a bit. So I'm sorry, but it just, it kind of bugged me a little bit, but then she realizes she's like, Oh, it's later. And I thought she's like, I got to go. So she's got to drive two hours back home. I'd be like, um, why don't you stay at a night? You know, we can have sleep over or something. You can sleep on a couch or something, you know, but she's just going to go. And Sarah's like, can we be friends again? And she's like, of course. It's like, oh my God, whatever. So Lois goes into Jonathan's room. So it's like nighttime now. She's like, let's try this again from the beginning. So she's like trying to speak calmly. So he said that he found out Timmy was taking XK. He figured that he had to take some to keep up with him. He's like, it was stupid. Um, but, you know, I really wanted to start, after, especially after last year. You know, I, I felt that everyone in the family is really great at something. And, you know, he says that he's like, I would never sell drugs. And she's like, I believe you but I'm still incredibly disappointed in you. He's like, I'll make it up to you. He's like, I promise. And she's like, you can start by telling me where you got the XK from. And he doesn't say anything. And she's like, the principal called me and said that unless you can prove that those inhaler weren't yours, the school board is going to expel you. And he shrugs. He's like, I, I can't ruin someone else's life. And she's like, what about your life? And he's like, sorry. And she's like, yeah, so am I. So Edge... And he's still going on. He's like, I can't believe I had a wife. She's like, she must be a goddess. He's like, anywhere, any idea where I can find her on this earth? Superman's like, let's just, let's try to focus on this. So Lara's like, something's coming. It's a missile. Blows up. Kryptonite dust comes out of the explosion. So hologram Lara and Bizarro obviously aren't, aren't affected. So that's like, like, hmm. Anderson comes in with a rifle. Uh, he takes a hit of XK he yells for Superman. He's like, Superman. And Superman gets up. Anderson tells him, he's like, stand down or I'll open fire. And Superman's like, you don't have to do this. And Anderson's like, I'm bringing him in, all of you, by any means necessary. So then he lowers the rifle and he blasts Superman with heat vision. So Superman staggers back. Anderson sees Bizarro standing in the yellow ring. He's like, you, you killed my team. And the Bizarro's like, I'll kill anyone who gets in my way. So Anderson shoots Bizarro with a kryptonite bullet, but it just kind of like bounces off. He shoots a few more and it's the same thing. And then Bizarro kind of gives like a, a little smile. So I wasn't clear if the, or I wasn't sure. I mean, cause I'm a, I'm a, a knucklehead. I wasn't clear if uh, the kryptonite bullets bounce off of Bizarro or if there's like some sort of force field from this yellow thing was, was blocking them. Cause I, I feel like, because he's from a different world and things are are, are backwards or different, that the, the kryptonite isn't affecting him, which is obviously the case. So that, that's why it didn't matter. So then uh, Anderson tells him, he's like, let it out of its cage. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. Then Anderson's like, fine, I'll do it myself. So then Edge zips up and grabs him. And he's, you know, he's still a little weak. Superman tries stopping Anderson and gets knocked down. Anderson's going to shoot Superman with a kryptonite pistol. But then Edge dives and gets hit by... Uh, um, three kryptonite bullets Superman uh, goes to him then Lara tells Bizarro help my sons and she frees him he grabs Anderson and they fly out out of the, the cave area so Bizarro pounds on him he's pounding on him Anderson shoots him point blank with a kryptonite bullet and Bizarro just like smashes it you know, into himself it's almost like he's like feeding off of it then he, he grabs Anderson now you suffer 
So Superman calls out to his mother and she says that the kryptonite fragments have pierced several of Edge's vital organs, so he must disintegrate them. So Anderson's getting beat. He tries uh, taking another hit of XK, but Bizarro busts it. The yellow dust comes out of, of the inhaler and then it like uh, it affects him. And Anderson smiles and sees that it hurt him, so he smashes another one on him. So Superman tries zapping uh, Edge, and he's like, he's not not healing, so I guess he's been in uh, prison for t- too long. So Anderson's winning now. He he takes a hit of Yellow K, smashes two vowels against Bizarro, then another one, smashes in his face, he, and he gets ready. He's like, he gets, like I don't know if he's he going to snap his neck or is he going to put him in a sleeper hole. So he gets behind him, and he's like, you know, holding him whatever so superman um he he takes edge up to the power so he apparently burnt all the the kryptonite out of him using precision heat vision because he had to be careful with vital organs so he takes him up to the sun to to try to power him up so bizarro's out so this is again where it's like is he is he just sleeping is he knocked out or is he dead anderson gets up starts walking away in space superman's holding edge then he flies back and he lands with them next to Bizarro. So then I'm like, are they both dead? Then Edge wakes up under a red sun lamp. He's back in the cell. Superman's there too, so he brought him back where he belongs. Then Edge is like, oh, is your misunderstanding with the humans resolved? And Superman's like, more or less. So Edge said, he's like, have they apologized for their overstep? And, and they're like, you know, where's Anderson? So Anderson escaped. Then he's like, what about the other you? And we find out Bizarro's dead. So he's like, he's like, I would have been um, two if you didn't do what you did. And he's like, what are brothers for? So he's like, thank you. Superman goes to leave and Edge calls out to him. He's like, tell your son, I'm sorry. And Superman's like, maybe someday you can tell him yourself. So Superman tells Lois that a warrant has been issued for Anderson's arrest because he went AWOL. He stole government property, stole weapons, you know, whatever stuff. And then he's like, I offered to lead the manhunt myself. And Lois is like, that's not your responsibility. You're retired. And he's like, yeah, but I'm the one who recommended him for the job. So it's like, good job, Sam. Clark enters. Lois and Clark hug. And then Lois, he's like, oh, man. And then she has to tell him about Jonathan. So Mayor Dean is at the diner. He's talking about family because that's what this town is. And he's like, if you can't keep control of your own family, if you don't really know what's going on in your own home, how are we supposed to trust that you'd know what's going on with all of us? Then Lana walks in behind. She's like, because I love this town, George, and everyone in it. And he's like, well, can't be sure given your current situation. And he's like, and if we can't be sure of that, then she's like, then I'll just have to make it clear to everyone during our debate. But what should really be in question here is what kind of person are you? It's like someone so willing to attack a member of his family during one of the most painful moments of their life. And she says to everyone, she's like, does that sound like family values to you? And some people are like, oh, snap. Like, oh, that, that's harsh. And some people like dropped their kind of like dropped their pamphlets on the counter or whatever. And she just like walks up. So Kyle walks out of like the convenience store and Sarah's at. She's like, dad, can we talk? And he's like, yeah. Jonathan's lying in bed. Clark enters. And he's like, you're back. He's like, yeah. And I was not expecting to hear what your mother just told me. So he, um, Jonathan's like, oh, but, and he like, cuts him off. He's like, your mother gave you multiple chances to come clean. He's like, did you not hear me talk to you about doing the right thing? He's like, yeah. He's like, damn it, then act like it. He's like, tomorrow, you're going to apologize to the principal, then to the coach, 
then to the entire football team. Then you're going to figure out how you're going to finish out the rest of the school year, whether it's online, the next town over, somewhere else. After that, we're going to have a long talk about the things that I thought you already knew so that you don't ever misrepresent yourself or this family again. It's like, do you understand? He's like, yes, sir. So Clark walks out and poor Jonathan starts crying because he, he messed up and you know he's trying to protect his girlfriend. He did something super stupid, but kids make mistakes. So Allie Alston's at her car with her like her helper dude, and then Anderson shows up. He's introduced himself. He's like formerly with the U.S. Department of Defense, and he's like, "I heard about you from Superman." She just kind of like chuckles about that, and he says like, "Superman thought that you were dangerous, and I should look into you." And he's like, "I have something that he wants, but I think it belongs to you." So he pulls out the pendant. Can you tell me what this is? And she's like, "That, that is the way to change the worlds." So, all right, Anderson's a big idiot, but now somehow he's turning evil. The fact that I get that he's so angry and everything, but the to blatantly go against government orders, a command chain of command, and all that stuff when he's so deeply committed to following everything to the letter, and then now he's looking at working with. I mean, I guess he just feels, maybe in his mind, he feels that Superman is the traitor. So, I don't know. It's just, you got to have an enemy, right? And you got to have someone that you don't like. Um, the unfortunate thing is, we're not going to know what happens for a couple of weeks. It's, the show's not coming back to March 22nd. So, we'll have to sit and wonder what the heck is going to happen with Anderson and Alston and this stupid pendant. Okay, then the Flash flashes back. So season eight, episode six, Impulsive Excessive Disorder. So it starts off six months ago. Oh, we see Barry and Iris are renewing their vows. So that whole that whole moment. Then Bart and Nora t- are talking to them, you know, after that. So uh, f- future them told them so much about their vow renewal so many times. And Iris, Iris is like, is like, oh, you know, we have such a future ahead of us. And Bart says like, if we didn't change it, then Bart's Barry's like, no, I checked with Gideon and everything's fine. No changes. Then Nora's like, on that note, you know, we should probably be getting back to 2049. So they, they take off. But in, um, Central City 2049. They arrive back home, but they're in different clothes now. So maybe they changed before, you know, after whatever. So Norris, like, oh, everything seems to be the same. But then Bart comments on, he's like, oh, you know, it was so, so good to see Uncle Jay and Aunt Joan again. But then he's like, is it weird that seeing Uncle Jay made me miss him even more? Then there's like this rumbling and booming, and this like green wave of light kind of passes over them. And then, you know, so. I don't know who's if they're at Bart's place or whatever, but they had like Jay's helmet like on his display stand, and then it it's gone. And then Jay walks in with like several bags, and he says, "It's like I come bearing cheeseburgers," and they they're like shocked to see him. They give him this big hug, and Bart and Nora, they they talk as you know, Jay sets up the food. They're like. Bart's like, did we do this? He's like, this is so crash. And she's like, no, this is not crash. This is the opposite of crash. She's like, that was a temporal wave that just washed over us. She's like, we changed the future by going back. But Bart's like, but we changed it in a good way. He's And she's like, well, we have to figure out why things changed. So they talk and everything like that. Then, uh, you know, they, they find out you know, mom and pops are in Milan for their vow renewal anniversary. Um, they're like, what's what about Team Flash that are busy? And um, he's like, which you know. And Jay mentions how when Godspeed came for him a few months ago, Impulse saved the day. That's how I know that Bart will make a great flash someday. 
And then Jay looks at his watch. He's like, oh, Aunt Rose is running late. You know, she has a meeting with a botany club or something like that. And Nora's like, who's Aunt Rose? And he's like, Rose, my wife? He's like, what's up with you two tonight? So then later they zip over to the Flash Museum. Nora says that, you know, the cosmic treadmill wasn't built to handle three three speedsters at once. So their tachyon energy must have caused massive temporal Fissures. It's like how the heck does anyone know? Like ever knows all the the scientific mumble jumbo intricacies of everything. So she looks up the records, and according to the what what's what's shown there, Uncle Jay never married Aunt Joan. So he she looks up something else. She's like, oh my gosh, we erased her. So she doesn't even exist. So they have to figure out what happened. So they have to work backwards to see everything that changed in their timeline and put things back. The how to put everything back how they're supposed to be so they're you know look through different articles there's like a booster gold thing during white house visit and she's like who's booster gold so we see a picture of donald Faison doing like a thumbs up so that that was a kind of a nice little thing because he just appeared in the, the last episode of legends of tomorrow so they, they've introduced him hopefully we'll see more of him because uh it'll be interesting to see what what, what they do they're, they see a mention of uh, Chief of Police Joe West. Then they're like, wait, he wasn't the chief back then You know, this, when this article was printed. Like, you know, when did he get promoted? So they look it up. There's no, like, time features before then. So Joe got shot at this one point. So they have to go to New Year's Eve 2013. And this is also a time when their dad is still in a coma. So this is before he became the Flash. So in 2013, Joe tries asking out Cecile for, like, New Year's Eve. And she's like... You know, because he's like, "What are you doing tonight?" When she's like, oh, "I got a ton of paperwork." Plus, you know, all men are jerks. She's like, "No offense." Right? So her divorce just finalized last week, so it didn't really go too well. So uh, Barry or Nora and Bart, they just have to make sure not to interact with anyone in their family. And Bart's like, "You know, no one will know we're there." And then Eddie Thon sees them. He's like, "Who are you two? He's like, "Why are you here?" So Nora hands him some IDs. She's like, "So the IDs say that they're." Nora Moy and Bart Wade. So they're interns because they heard that the CSI guy is under the weather. So Eddie admits, he's like, yeah, you know, it's been tense here since the accident at Star Labs. He's like, my new partner barely speaks to me because, you know, Joe does because Joe lost his old partner. So he doesn't like Eddie. Bart's like, um, he's like, you should get him a cup of coffee. You know, it's like a cup of Java can bring people together. And Eddie's like, that's a great idea. And he says, he's like, I want to get everyone coffee. So he hands Nora's credit card. He's like, you know, take their orders. It's, like, it's on me. So he says, you know, leave his and Detective West on their desk while they're out. And then when he leaves, Bart mentions like, that's a guy who sacrificed himself. The mom's old fiance. She's like, I know. So there's a big line. Uh, there's no jitters at this point. It's just like a little coffee cart. So this is before he went big, I guess. Bart, um, and he's just like talking and everything. He accidentally knocks the paper out of the hands of this lady behind, behind him. Then they lock eyes and it's like, it must be love at first sight or something like that. You know, they're just looking at each other. Then he noticed that she's like studying temporal dynamics or something like that. And he's like, how do you know so much about quantum divergence? And she's, she's like, can you keep a secret? And he's like, yeah. She's like, I'm from the future. And he's like, no way, I am too. Nora Palm, like, face palms. She's like, oh my gosh, you can't just say that. Then she's like, oh, I'm just messing with you because time travel is impossible. So she's trying to solve this paradox thing or whatever. You know, she's studying all this stuff. She works at this, um, I forget what, what it was, at this like research company thing like that. So her name's Avery. And then uh, Nora's gauntlet goes off. So she, because she had it set the robbery where Joe gets shot and then he gets promoted shortly after that. It's, like happening now 
so they have to go and and but Bard is like so focused on like trying to talk to her and so she's like we need to go to that one thing whatever so Joe and Eddie show up Eddie's gonna go around back and then right when as soon as he leaves like Joe's at the front the guy walks out and he's pointing at his gun at Joe. He's all like shaking. He's like holding it sideways or whatever. And he's like, oh, I've shot one of these before. And, like He ends up dropping the gun and it goes off and the bullet's heading at Joe. So Nora and Bart start like thinking at super speed, like, you know, what can we do? So Bart's like, I, I know. So he goes and instead of, because, you know, they can't just move the bullet because like how, how that would just be weird, you know, and everything like that. So what he ends up doing, which I don't think the physics makes this possible, whatever, but he moves joe just like a, a tiny bit to his his right <laughs> and then he also gives him a little light kiss on the cheek and then he moves in and Nora's like you shouldn't have done that so the bullet just like kind of goes through like the the car door window but it, it like misses joe and he like <laughs> and he like you know he touches his cheek or whatever so her her gauntlet shows that there are more temporal particles in the flux and you know, so she's like, you know, you should have moved Joe instead of bullet, whatever. You just made everything worse. And this lady in the hood, like, sees the bullet, like, in this metal power box thing on the road or whatever. And as Bart and uh, Nora walk away, she hears him mention that she's like, you know, they said something like it wasn't even a metahuman that did something or whatever like that. And she's like, metahuman? Then I'm not uh, I'm not alone. So at first I'm like, wait, who is this? <laughs> this this lady? It, it turns out it's Queen from the Royal Flush Gang, who we saw, like, recently. So Nora and Bart need to figure out what went wrong to change things even more. So Bart wants to go back in time. He's like, why don't we go back and see? And Nora's like, uh, that's a really bad idea. You know, so we're going to go back in time because we messed up going back in time. And, and he's like, but then they notice there's like a security camera up by the entrance of the, the jewelry store or whatever like that. So they could get that footage. Um, then we see two dudes and a woman they they're like at this like pool hall because they, they heard someone's voice in their head promising a big score or something like that because you know they don't even know who told them to meet there the voice tells them to look on the pool table so they look and there's this blueprints for his casino and the voice says like and i'll know if the cops are coming uh and they're like you know ever since the particle accelerator exploded she can hear people's thoughts so the, then the big dude's like oh, i'm sick of hiding who i am he smashes like cinder block that happens to be there or something like that so this dude I, at first i'm like who are these people so that that dude is king and royal flush king the long-haired dude he's like i'm tired of hiding too he like takes off his glasses he has because he's wearing sunglasses and he shoots like lasers out of his eyes which almost hits a girl and, and it's like is, you know did he mean to do that she like does this jump flip out of the way and he doesn't even say like oh sorry about that whatever so the dude is jack and she's 10 so royal flush gang has formed even though they didn't form at this point so bart nor bring coffee to the station the thumb drive with the security footage is on joe's desk because you know they, they tried taking it from from eddie before but he it's like he wouldn't give it to him so Eddie's trying to talk to Joe and then Norris, which is thumb drives. And then they go to Barry's office and uh, then, you know, Bart notices like that's where her dad was struck by lightning. You know, it's on the wall. So they watch the footage, which is weird. It's like, okay, why don't you just like copy the footage and, and put the thumb drive back? You know, they could have done that, but they, they took the whole thing. They replaced it with this other one, whatever. So they watch the footage and uh, Bart sees Mona Taylor, AKA the queen. And then, uh, the gauntlet shows 30 dead tonight at a casino. So the Royal Flush Gang wasn't supposed to form yet. Bart starts coming down on himself saying, you know, everything he did today made things worse. And he's not good enough. He'll never be the Flash. And he zips off. And it's just like, dude. 
So then we see Bart standing over Barry. Barry's in a coma. And he's like, spoiler alert, Pops, your son is a screw up. And then Nora shows up and she's like, I figured you'd be here. She's like, you know, no one's perfect. And he's like, you are. And, you know, she's, she, you know, cause she knew that they needed to come to this time. They had to save Grandpa Joe, et cetera. And she's like, I fumbled so many times. She's like, and when I fell, dad was there to pick me up. Just like, I'll be there to pick you up. And then, you know, so she gives him this pep talk and all this stuff like that. And then, you know, talking about like, you know, taking the time, think, think things through and everything. Then he figures that, you know, to get out of this, they need an expert on time travel and he knows just where to go. So they go over to Aubrey's. So, yeah, so she's working as a fast, fast track lab. I don't think they've ever mentioned that before. So maybe they weren't that successful. Maybe they went under. I don't know. So they need help to change things about without making things worse. The headline on Nora's gauntlet it's the same but the number of casualties keeps like f- changing keeps alternating so they figure it's too late to stop the casino heist but not the death count so they can stop the deaths as long as they let the heist still happen so the royal flush gang arrives at the casino they like blow out the the, the glass door or whatever they painted their faces white and they got like their little you know suit symbol on them whatever bart and noah show show up um in costumes and they hide because they need to make sure no one gets hurt but they have to let the heist happen so bart starts zipping people out but then king notices that there's a couple people ducking and then he looked away and then when he looked back they're missing so queen and he tells queen this so she try, uses her telepathy stuff whatever she's she figures like you know someone's there with them and then bart tells nora that queen is going to start killing people if they don't do something so nora's trying to you know she's off somewhere else she's trying to find a bomb that they planted i guess maybe it was in the article bart um he pops up as a casino manager so i don't know where he got who he he took the clothes from or whatever maybe he found it in a locker he says that uh he was helping he admits he was helping people escape he's like you know you can just take the money and leave and you know she looks at his mind and sees that he's from the future but then she sees him talking about Avery and, and love and whatever. And she figures maybe that that's all he was talking about. So he's not, I don't know. I didn't really understand how that settled things or something like that. But then, uh, Nora, she finds a bomb, but, um, the queen, well, before he left, they said, I enjoyed a fireworks. And Nora's like, there must be more than one bomb. But Bart's like, like, Oh, you got this, you know, you can do this. And, uh, he can't run because I guess he got hit by King. So somehow, that affected his powers. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, Nora figures out where the bombs are because they were like on this heat, this water tank or something like that. And it's covering the signature. I don't know what it was. So she finds bombs. There's five of them. I don't know how she knew there was only five. She goes up to ceiling. She throws them up in the air. She's doing this like fancy spin, of course. And they blow up. And just in time, as a, they were set to go off at midnight. So they, they explode like when fireworks go off, whatever. At the police station, Eddie tells Joe that all the casino people said someone streaked them outside. And I, I'm like, are they the only two detectives working? It's midnight. They're still at the station because they were there earlier. Then um, Iris comes in with some jitters, coffee, and donuts. So I guess she's working New Year's Eve or whatever. And then she sees Eddie and she talks to him, whatever, because she knows that he's her dad's new partner and stuff like that. They start talking and, and smiling and everything. So Cecile comes up to Joe. So she apologized for being so harsh in the morning which just shows that they've been working all day so she says that you know she she knew that he was going to ask her something but she's not ready and she won't be for a while but however when she is ready whoever sent lilacs to her office tonight he'll be the first to know so i guess joe must have sent flowers to her i don't know 
So then they're about to take a picture at the station, which is weird. It's like, okay, you're going to take this picture that's going to go up on the wall like just after midnight. It's like, is everyone working at this point? And someone asks, is like, oh, the interns, you want to get in on this? So they stand in the back and they get their picture taken. Bart goes to talk to Avery and, you know, she's says that, you know, he didn't just, you know, change her research. He changed her life and whatever like that. And he's like, well, you helped save the day. But he's like, you know, before I go back to my time, I know that we just met. And, and then she grabs him and they kiss for like a long time. Nora comes in with her eyes or her hand over her eyes. She's like, hey, Bart, it's been uh, two minutes. Like, we really need to go. So then it's Flash Museum 2049. They tell Jay, they're like, you were dead. You were killed by Godspeed. Bart says that, you know, if messing up time means that he can't be the Flash, so be it. And Jay kind of laughs. He's like, if screwing up the timeline was a deal breaker, your dad wouldn't, could never be the Flash. So Bart's like, you're not mad? And Jay's like, I'm alive. He's like, my Joan is back. He's like, you know, we're, we're both on a, you know, you're both on a journey, whatever. You make mistakes. Sometimes they can't be undone, but, you know, you'll figure things out just like you did today. And then he's like, he's like, oh, but, you know, I got to get going now. He's like, I have a meeting with President Luther. And they're like, President Luther. And he looks at him. He's like, gotcha. <laughs> so he was joking with him. So then at Central City, present day, Joe, Cecile, Barry, Allegra, Chester, and Frost, you know, they're waiting for Iris to come down or whatever. So I guess they, they have a New Year's Eve party. They're, they all form a circle and somehow barry's gonna run them all to paris i don't understand how that it would even work i have no idea it makes no sense but then after they leave iris's hairbrush flickers green and disappears so is that because she spent so much time in the still force before when she was like hiding from from a reverse flash or was it reverse flash because i think it was mentioned that she's going to be getting powers some for some reason and I don't know. So why does she need to get powers? It's like, we don't need that. But that was the episode. So I didn't mind the episode so much. I actually, I kind of liked it. And I, I think because, you know, I, I like Nora and I wasn't super crazy about Bart before, but with this episode, I think he grew a little bit more on me. You know, I don't like his like, woo, all the time, but it, it was okay. So if, if we get, I don't know if, I thought we were supposed to get more of them because I thought it was said that the dude playing eddie that every time we see him he's like a different character so like i i, I thought that they're gonna have to keep going back and trying to fix things or figure things out but i don't know so um i don't remember if there's a preview for next week i really don't remember so we'll see so it, it was I, I i liked the episode and maybe because there wasn't so much of the other people like chester and just like there's no one talking about leveling up so i i, I like the episode Okay, then with Servant Season 3, Episode 8, Donut. Oh my gosh, this show th this show had like a holy crap moment at the end that I kinda I kinda saw it coming. I kinda wondered, but I even though I, it's like it still was kind of a shocker, even though it's like I really had a strong feeling it was gonna happen. Anyways, I'll, I'll, when we get there. So it starts off uh one 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 of the kids at the park, whatever, the homeless camp. It's like handing out these like balloons, orange balloons. Leanne comes with lemonade and she's like, good morning, everyone. And then they say, good morning back. And she's like, oh, do I get a balloon or something like that? So she gets one and then she like lets it go. It's like, okay. <laughs> then back at, at the kitchen, she gives uh, Dorothy some tea. Dorothy has Jericho like in a baby Bjorn carrier thing. She doesn't say anything. Sean comes down. He's ragged from 
from trying to work and he's come you know he's, he's sleep i guess he's sleeping on a couch because you know his, his back's like hurting whatever and then leanne's like you know it's like oh we're so lucky i have two stars in the house and dorothy kind of like just side glances at her you know whatever then sean's car arrives and he asked dorothy he's like oh you know if you want to join me on the steps for lunch whatever and she's like no it's too chaotic for for jericho and he's like leanne could but then she doesn't she like kind of cuts him off so she doesn't seem to want to let leave let jericho leave her sight or anything like that and, and then it's funny he's like he tries kissing her goodbye and she like moves a little bit and so he ends up just like kissing jericho's head but it's like she's being like so like frigid with him so then we later we see dorothy on her phone she goes uh you know just after she goes around the corner just as leanne's coming down with, with a laundry basket dorothy's like i told you i don't want you in my room i can do my own laundry and then Dorothy's phone rings and she like she looks at it. she's like she answered it. She's like, Ugh. She's like, No, I can't take that story. She's like, I still don't have childcare, even though Leanne is like right behind her. And she's like, Yes, I'm disappointed as well, but there's nothing I can do. And it's like, Ugh yourself. It's like, oh my gosh. I just more and more it's like I cannot stand Dorothy. But I guess that's the point. So Leanne quietly says, she's like, Dorothy, I really wish you'd let me help you. And she's always like, just like super calm and everything like that. She's like, it's my job. Dorothy spins around. Since you seem so completely clueless, let me make it as clear as a bell. You will never touch Jericho again. And she's like, leaves like the hallway where they're at. So Leanne sitting at the park, um, like some kids come close, but sees that she's upset. So then they kind of like back off. Then Dorothy's uh, co the other reporter, the younger reporter, Isabel, she's like jogging. I, for some reason, she happens to be lives nearby, I guess. She sees her and she's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And then she comes back. She's And she's like, Dorothy means well. It's just she can be tough. And Leanne's like, how do you know it's about Dorothy? And Isabel's like, I recognize those tears. She's like, I've shed those tears. So she's like, you know, she started out as Dorothy's intern and, you know, she really helped her in the beginning. She taught her things. So, you know, she even shared her clothes because she really needed the fashion help. So it sounds like exactly what Dorothy was doing with Leanne. And then Isabel's like, then sometimes she could be, as my mom would say, a real beehole. And they both chuckle. <laughs> and that made me kind of laugh too, like beehole. Because usually, you know, people say a hole. It's like, I never, I don't know, something about beehole. I never really heard it referred to like that so isabel says that you know she would hide in the bathroom and she'd bawl and leanne says that you know she really wishes that dorothy would let her help she just gets so mad and isabel's like well she's a perfectionist and you know it's it's hard to live up to her standards you know she and she's like you know she probably messes up sometimes too and then isabel's phone buzzes and she's like oh, i was supposed to have today off but because dorothy said she couldn't do whatever job so they probably call isabel so she's like well i'm available wednesday if you you know want to have a coffee so then we see sean and julian are like in a hallway he's like hang up this picture in there and you know julian's just standing there and he's like you hit the wall too hard because it kind of cracked the wall when he's printing put a nail there and then uh julian sees leanne downstairs and he goes down there so he's like kind of like leaves sean so there's like some other pounding noise i guess from downstairs maybe and you know he like comments on it and leanne's like yes yeah, in 6 a.m it drove dorothy to leave so I, th I think they're fixing the hole down there or trying to then she asks if he needs something else and and you know she walks around the island she has like the thing of milk then she's like get me a glass and he like obeys and then she's like pour me some milk and he obeys again so he's pouring it he stops and she's like to the top 
So as he's pouring it, then she like holds his hand down to make it keep pouring, and it spills over a glass, like onto the island, onto the floor. <laughs> and right at that moment, Dorothy walks in, sees them, whips off her sunglasses, and just glares, and then goes upstairs. And Julian tells Leanne, he's like, I think, uh, I think I'm going to leave now. And she's like, if that's what you want. And then she leaves the kitchen. So he's like standing in the milk, and he just picks up the glass, and he like downs the whole thing. In the hallway, Dorothy's staring at the painting because I guess it was like one of her favorites. So, you know, Sean thought it should be on display. And then, you know, he's like fixed some other things too. He's like like showing her, you know, he fixed this. He fixed one of the slats on the crib or whatever and, and, and everything. And then she's like, it's a pathetic attempt to get back into our marriage bed. <laughs> and he's like, come on, Dorothy. He's like, my back is killing me from that poopy couch upstairs. He's like, isn't that punishment enough? And she's like, you know what need what you need to do if you want to fix this. It's simple. And he's like, haven't we been through this already? And she's like, I still don't understand why you insist on keeping her here when you, you know, I clearly want her gone. And he's like, because, you know, you, you, she brought our family back together. She's like, can't you see that? And she's like, we were fine before Leanne even showed up. It's like, no, they weren't. So then exasperated, he's like, no, we weren't. <laughs> and she's like, you're not telling me everything. It's like, what does she have over you or on you? And he says that he's like, she doesn't have anyone. She's like, we're her family and we owe her for what she went through. Dorothy's like, you mean what I put her through? It's like, she had my baby. I had no choice. And he's like, our baby. But it's like, she didn't have her baby. It's like the baby doesn't exist or whatever. However, I don't know how you explain it. But then Jericho starts crying and she's like, maybe you should get a new couch. And, and she just leaves the room. I'd be like, okay, Sean, just, you need to, you need to leave. <laughs> you know, and she's so crazy you'll get custody of the kid sean goes to the attic there's like sad music playing you know a record whatever and leanne's just sitting by the window and you know he's like you know you can come by the set tomorrow if you want and you know, he's like i know it can be a lot to be cooped up with an angry dorothy and then he turns to leave and she's like do you want to stay you know, listen to the music i'm like okay don't start hitting on him because that would just be wrong so he sits and he says that, you know, before he met Dorothy, he was never really lonely. You know, he spent a lot of time alone. It just didn't really bother him. Then, you know, she stepped into his life and he just never wanted to be without her. But it's like, she's so mean. So now he is more than, you know, he feels he's more lonely than ever, whatever. So he says he just, you know, wants to sit down and have a meal. Then, you know, hold her and her son. He's like, is that too much to ask? And she's like, no. So next day, Dorothy has Jericho and a baby Bjorn again. So she's on the phone, you know, she's in the kitchen, Sean's there. She, she's like, no, she's like, I'm still not available. She's like, yes, believe me, I'm as frustrated as you are. Then she's like, um, could I ask for a little favor? She's like, could you give the story to Jeremy? So this is so petty. You know, she probably doesn't want Isabel to get it because she's so like incredibly jealous of her because she's younger and everything. It's just like, oh my gosh. Then what Sean is doing, he's making a special meal. He's like, you know, they missed a premiere, you know, whatever of the, I don't know if it's the first episode, maybe it's the last time, the first season. So he figured that they could celebrate the second. And um, then he's like, she's like, okay, I'll call my dad and his current, you know, was her name Crystal with the K or something like that. He's like, no, you know, I was thinking a smaller celebration, but then she just, she's on the phone with her dad. So, you know, he just wants it to be them, but, you know, she's just being so heartless whatever so uh leanne hears some sirens she goes outside there's an ambulance and um 
then Leanne sees Isabel's talking to her paramedic and she kind of like points to the house and she like hands him. I don't know. Should she give him money or there's like something going on? So then um, she comes up to Leanne and she said that she was walking by. She's like, you know, she's like never a dull moment. Right. So apparently an unhoused guy was passed out. She calls him unhoused guy instead of homeless. An unhoused guy was passed out on the sidewalk and uh, you know, he wouldn't wake up. So she called an ambulance because she's like, I couldn't just like walk over and leave him, which I don't know. I, th- I think that's what most people in, unfortunately would do in New York, but I don't know in any city. So, and she has donuts. So she's, you know, she holds up a bag. She's like, you know, they'd go great with coffee. And Leanne's like, Oh, uh, I'll make some. And she's like, Dorothy's not here, right? And she's like, no, she's been spending a lot of time out of the house recently. So in the living room, uh, Leanne pours like coffee. Isabel's looking at all the recordings of Dorothy's stories that are like on the shelves. It's like she records all of them. And then Leanne's like, don't you record yours or keep yours, whatever. And she's like, well, you know, there, there's one that I would have kept. So there's this FBI story about this hedge fund guy, whatever, you know, she prepared everything. She did pre-interviews and she showed Dorothy like what she had and everything like that. But Dorothy's like, she said she didn't have the clout to sell it. The higher ups wouldn't take her seriously. So she did it for her. And Leanne's like, and she got all the credit. She's like, yeah, but you know, what's important is that the story got out. So then, um, then Isabel's like, you know, it's like, we're all worried about Dorothy. Is she okay? So someone's like, okay, is she like fishing for something? It's like, can we trust Isabel? What's going on here? Then Leanne's like, oh, she's fine. You know, she's just busy with Jericho. Then she's like, is is he okay? You know, is Jericho okay? And she's like, he's perfect. So Isabel's like, oh, good. You know, I was, I was worried he was sick or, or, you know, something had happened like that whole ambulance thing last year. And then this catches Leanne off guard, you know, right when she's taking a sip of coffee and she's like spills some on her blouse. And then, um, so she takes off her, her, her blouse and she has a shirt underneath. And then Isabel sees like cuts on her arms and she's like, did you hurt yourself? And she's like, no. She's like, did someone hurt you? And she's like, no, nobody. It wasn't Dorothy. She didn't do this. And Isabel's like, okay. She's like, I won't push, but if you ever want to talk, she's like, I'm, I'm here. So Sean's checking out the new floor in the basement. He smiles. You know, he pulls out a bottle of wine. You know, from the the wine one of the racks, whatever. There's like kind of dust all over. So he kind of like blows it off. But then there's like bugs, and he just like stomps on them. And he like looks inside, and I don't know. There's like a bunch of termites. It was mentioned. Who mentioned termites? Someone mentioned termites before, and I don't think. Leanne did anything or no because he's he thought he saw termite droppings on a counter so I don't know like what's up with that so then uh Leanne's sitting in a park this is like later with with all the others so it's nighttime and she gets up she's like open your eyes so she she says that to tell her what happened today so they said that they're walking the block when they saw the ambulance and you know they don't know why it came the man just seemed fine so then the lady I think her name's Snake um, she says that you know she saw him in a park earlier, and Leanne's like, "Was he passed out?" She's like, "Well, not when we got there, so you know nothing seemed to be wrong." Then Leanne's like, "Did you hear what the pretty blonde lady was saying to the EMT?" And they're like, "No, but you know it seemed serious." The EMT looked angry. Then the 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 dude, the kid, says that um, they have something for her, and it's the knife that that she had that was taken from her, whatever. And she tells him all the stand. She's like, you know this is what they use to control us. She's like, it's a symbol of our fears or whatever. She's like, but I'm not afraid anymore. And she like pokes her finger with it. And she's like, are you? And she starts passing the knife around and they all kind of like start poking themselves. 
so Dorothy, I think she's watching like old episodes of Sean's show in, in the kitchen. And, you know, she's because she doesn't remember that he was even on the show. And she's like looking at the calendar planner. I think she's trying to figure out when he recorded them or when they aired or something like that because she blocked that period out. And then um, Leanne walks in and she has to like put the knife behind her back. And she's like, oh, I didn't know you'd still be awake. And Dorothy's like, don't concern yourself with me. And Leanne's like, you know, I was just visiting with my friends. And Dorothy kind of sighs. And Leanne's like, they could be your friends too. And there's like no response. Then Leanne's like, okay. And she starts like walking towards her with a knife. It's still behind her back. And then she like moves, somehow moves it to the front. And she passes, she's like, good night, Dorothy. And she just goes up to her room. She puts a knife in this like big jewelry box thing like under her bed. So the next day, Isabel knocks on the door, Dorothy with Jericho. Um, and she's like, she, she like answers the door and, and uh, Isabel's like, I know what you did. And Dorothy's like, oh, Isabel. It's like, Jeremy is just right for the story, okay? And she's like, no, this isn't about you undermining my career. This is about me ending yours. And Jericho's like starts crying. I- Isabel says that, you know, she doesn't know how she's not in jail, but she's not going to get away with this. And then Leanne comes down the stairs and she sees her and she like kind of like rushes into the kitchen. Dorothy's like, oh, I see. Have you been talking to her? Hmm? What has she told you? Because trust me, it's not the full story. And she hears like some pots clanking and she's like, Leanne. She like calls out, bellows out her name. And she's like, she's like, excuse me to Isabel. And then, um, as she like turns to close the door, like Leanne kind of like rushes out of the kitchen, like into like the dining room area. And then, uh, so Dorothy closes the door. Then Leanne sneaks out from the dining area to the living room. And she goes out just as Dorothy goes in the kitchen. So outside, Leanne asks if she called the EMTs to find out about Dorothy. And she's like, yes. She's like, sorry, I lied to you, but it was part of my investigation. So then they, they hear Dorothy inside. She's still like calling for Leanne. And Isabel says that the woman at, uh, at the street fair got into her head. So she did some digging on her own, but she couldn't find much. But the EMT gave her like a small lead. So one of them had been there on a call in August, but he wouldn't spill, spill the details. But it seemed like he was horrified by what he saw. So she went searching for death records and she pulls out a piece of paper, but Leanne doesn't look at it. Isabel says, that's not Jericho. She's like, is that your baby Leanne? Has Dorothy taken him from you? And Leanne's like, so you didn't really want to be friends. And she's like, she's like, no, I, I like you. And I'm generally worried about you. It's like, you know, if she's hurt you and killed her baby and Leanne's like, what are you going to do? And Isabel's like, expose her. You know, she should go to jail. And she says that, you know, she guesses her rich daddy paid someone off, but at least, you know, she can ruin her career. And she says that, you know, honestly, she doesn't want to hurt Leanne. You know, you, she's been hurt enough, but, she, you know, she has to tell the truth. So then she's like, she looks at her watch. She's like, oh, I got to leave and be on the air in an hour. But she's like, don't worry, I won't leave you out in the cold. She's like, I'll help you find a new family who appreciate a great nanny. So then um, Leanne enters the house and Dorothy walks right, right up to her face. She's like, have you been talking to Isabel? And she's like, yes, she wants to be my friend. And Dorothy has like a shocked look on her face, like mouth open. Friend, is that why she showed up on my doorstep accusing me of, did you happen to mention our culpability in all this? Did you tell her why I was forced to? Then she sighs. And she's like, what is this, your petty revenge? And Leanne calmly says like, Dorothy, I don't hold a grudge against you. You did what you had to do to get Jericho back. Any good mother would have done the same thing. And she like touches Jericho's head and she like walks past Dorothy. But I thought Dorothy said she would never touch her again. Julian is on uh, on the stairs and then Leanne's, or he asks Leanne, she's like, what was all that about? And she's like, I'll be in my room. He's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And Leanne's like, don't be afraid of feeling good, Julian. And she just goes upstairs. Sean is getting food ready. 
and you know, he he goes up after her. Uh, Julian does. Sean is getting the food ready, calls out the Leanne, he's, and then she, you know, they both come down, and you can see she's like buttoning up her shirt, and he's like, you know, where were you? He's like, I need some help, whatever. And then the the door rings, and he's like, yes, Julian. He's like, can you get that? He's like, no way, that's my father, whatever. You know, so he doesn't want to get, you know, um, like the third degree or whatever like that. And he's like, well, can you just like do anything, you know, be helpful? So Dorothy answers the door or goes to answer it. And then uh, Sean goes up to her. He's like, aren't you going to get changed? And she's like, what? Now I have to play dress up for my husband. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm a, an embarrassment to you. Sean just, he's like, whatever. He just goes to the kitchen. So she answers the door. She a- apologizes for appearance. You know, she has her hands full with Jericho. And then um, she kind of suggests that the, you know, dad's girlfriend goes, you know, get some appetizer. So she tells her dad, she's like, I tried to get Leanne out of here and I failed clearly. And she's like, he says, because, you know, she's always been too soft. And then she says that, you know, she's been researching a new plan, which, uh, that makes me a little nervous. Is that why, she, you know, what she's been doing when she goes out? So she's like, you know, mostly out of the house because she can't trust anyone under this roof. So she's come to the conclusion th- that Leanne should be sent away. And he's like institutionalized. He's like, that's a serious step, Dorothy. And she whispers, the girl needs help, and I don't know what else to do. She's like, I can't work. I can't sleep. I can't even think with her around. She's like, can you help me? So it's like, basically, she doesn't like Leanne, so she wants to get her locked up. It's like, oh, my God. Then Leanne comes in with a tray of appetizer or whatever, and Dorothy just like, you know, turns away. She doesn't want any. And then she's like, I'm going to go change. So later, they're all sitting in the living room. Leanne brings out drinks for them. Dorothy like refuses her. There's more milk for Julian, so I guess you know, they're trying to get him not to drink because he's addicted to what, what you know has his, his problems. So the the show promo starts. He's like, "Oh, this is not not the show yet, whatever." And then Dorothy gets a text. She's like, "What?" So she changes the channel, even though Sean's show is about to come on, and he's like, "My show, whatever." And she's like, "Shut up, Sean. It's being recorded." I was like, "Oh my god!" She told him to shut up. So Isabel's on the news. And so she's on the scene in Chester to keep you informed about a dangerous scene that's unfolding. So she hears that Isabel's like reporting something. So she wants to see this instead of watching Sean's show. And Dorothy's like, Jeremy's supposed to be covering the story. Apparently he's got the flu or something like that. So Isabel's taking the story. So shots were fired from inside the house. And Leanne's like, she deserves to be there, Dorothy. And she just kind of looks at her. So what started a simple arrest turned into a standoff. At least three armed suspects are inside the house. Then gunfire starts. So Isabel tells the camera person, she's like, follow me, whatever. Dorothy's like, of course there's gunfire. I mean, I have set this girl up to take my job. And they all kind of look at her because it's all about her. Never mind the tense situation, the danger to lives or whatever like that. And she's just so selfish, whatever. Dorothy's like, I should be there. And then an officer tells Isabel not to move any closer. So she's standing by this van, you know, whatever. And then she reports, she's like, we have an active shooter situation. We'll continue to safely cover. She gets shot through the van window in the head, and she just crumples to the floor. And everyone's like, oh, poop. And Julian's like, do we just see her die? And their dad's like, thank God you weren't there. Dorothy's like shocked. And Leanne has like this small smile forming on her face. And, you know, probably because she, she was probably like mad at Isabel because she thought Isabel wanted to be her friend. And she found out she's just kind of using her because she is mad at Dorothy for good reason. But, you know, she wanted to ruin Dorothy's career and everything. So she didn't really care about Isabel. So she's like smiling. Then Dorothy slowly 
like turns to her and Leanne's face kind of just her you know, smile goes away and slowly fades away and she's just got like you know expressionless face and then she reaches like under a chair there's there's like a, a bag and she throws it away it's the donut bag and then she goes back inside so um yeah it's pretty clear that Leanne must have made this happen somehow but how would she give Jeremy the flu that doesn't make sense but I, yeah, I was not expecting to see her. I, I figured something would happen, but I didn't think she would get shot in the head. I thought she would just get like shot in the arm or you know something. Oh goodness! I, I think. Oh man, like what episode? I think there's one more after this show, and I'm pretty sure there's another season. I think IMDb lists another season, so I'm, I'm just I'm I'm digging this show so much. Okay, and now Severance season one episode. For the you you are i gotta say man i i'm digging this this show so uh, we're a week behind you can currently you can watch episode five right now if you really want to um i i haven't watched it yet as i'm recording this part but i'm i'm gonna watch it like as, as soon as i can i'm just i'm digging the show it's, it's just i don't know what it is about it there's something that's just so appealing just like kind of dark and just twisted in a way but not like overly dark so, anyways, let's let's get to it. Um, so, it starts off. Helly's still in a break room from from last episode. So she's been reading the lines over and over again, like the apology thing and everything like that. And it's you can see it's kind of taking a toll on her. Like maybe in Milchek look at like the the reading, like the printout stuff, and he's like, "I'm afraid you still don't mean it." So he looks at the clock and it's like five fifteen. So he turns off the light and takes out the tape. He's like, "We'll try again in the morning." So her arm is still like, you know, it's, it's bandaged because, you know, she tried escaping. She busted the window to the door with the fire extinguisher. And then when Mark grabbed her, her she cut her arm on, on the glass. So he walks her to the elevator. She gets in. He's like, see you tomorrow, Helly. The door closes. And then it's, it's almost like right away it opens and he's still there. She's she looks out and she's in a different outfit now. So it's, it's obviously it's the next day. And that's like one of the, the fascinating things right there, because I mean, I don't know how it would be for them because as soon as they, they get in the elevator and they, they start moving up, it's there's like nothing. There's like no gap or memory. It's just like instantaneous to the next day. So their bodies would probably be like, re, you would think like psychologically, it's got to take a toll on them because they have no downtime. It's just like work, 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 work. It's like nonstop work. There's no moment of just relaxing doing anything fun and so while the whole idea of, of severing yourself you know and just being able to focus on work and not worry about like oh what am i going to do in a weekend or man i just you know got an argument with my wife or my kids or my neighbor or whatever you know you, you don't have any of that and but then at the t- other things like a lot of time you you work it's like oh i got that weekend you know that vacation time coming up and but oh, it just seems so weird Anyways, so she kind of looks confused again. You know, you can see her face because how it's, it's just instantaneous. So she looks down at her outfit and she's like, flip me. What she doesn't say, flip F me, flip me. I'm going to start, I'm, I'm debating using like flip instead of F, whatever. Back in the break room, she's, um, apparently she's, she's read it 259 times or something like that. Cause she, and she's like, what's that voice? Cause she like hears something and he's just like, again, you know, Milchek's just cuts right to it. So she starts reading again and she kind of skips some stuff. He's like, no paraphrasing again. 
So Mark looks at, um, you know, I guess he's still home or it's like weird how at the time was, maybe this was before or maybe this is after. I don't know. This must be before because he looks at PD's phones. There's several calls in there from blocked. So he just put, takes the phone, puts it in a box in the like basement, and then he goes off to work in the bathroom at work. At, you know, he's he's looking at the map on the back of the, the group photo that PD drew there. Irv's like waiting for him outside the, the bathroom like when he comes out and he's like, it's past 1100 and heli has been in the break room since yesterday. Mark's like, okay. And Irv wondering, he's like, I wonder if as department head, you can check on her progress. And Dylan just, you know, he's sitting at his desk. He's like, Mark doesn't have that power. Then Bert shows up and he's like, hi. So Bert, uh, Christopher Walken and everyone's like kind of freaks, you know, like what? So he, um, Dylan like grabs his stapler kind of like in defense. He like has it open, like ready to shoot staples at him, I guess. And, you know, he, Bert's like, I'm sorry to interrupt. And he, and she's like, I'm Bert from, you know, whatever optics and design. He's like, we met the other day and Dylan's just like rude and defensive. And he's, he's like, you know, how, how do you know where our office is or whatever? And he's like, you know, he says that his predecessor came here one time when they did all the summits and he left directions. So he brought, um, the new handbook totes since Irv said that he was excited about them. So he, he didn't want that excitement to be a distraction from his work. So Irv is all happy. He's like, you brought pre-release handbook totes for us. So I guess, I mean, I guess you don't have much else to be excited for when, when all you're doing is working. So Dylan's like, okay, drop them off and take a hike back. And he also told him, you know, to leave the reverse directions or whatever there. Bert says he also wants to extend an invitation. If an informal tour of O and D ever sounds refreshing. You know, he'd be happy to personally offer that to Irving and any of them. So the directions are in the front bag reversed. Um, Dylan says that he, <laughs> he's just like hard pass. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know what it is about Dylan. He just cracks me up. So Irv decides, you know, he wants to go right away. And, and Mark's like, isn't it a little presumptuous to take him up on his you know, offer right away? And Irv mentions Kier's original vision about them all working together. So Kier's like one of the whatever former leader dudes. He's like, I'll be back by one o'clock. And Dylan says, he's like, you're going to die. Because, <laughs> you know, he thinks that there was like a coup before or whatever, attempted coup. Then uh, it, it's it, so he leaves, but then it sounds like he's coming back, but it's actually Heli. So Mark is like, how many times? And she's like, 1072 and she just goes back to her seat so irv's looking at the map you know he's going through like the maze of halls then heli and dylan like are in the snack room and she mentions a voice behind a door and dylan's like oh the crying baby and she's like no like the angry mumbly guy the marks you know he's at you know at the counter where he's like you know we're really not supposed to talk about the break room you know it's, it's the important thing is that she apologized correctly and now she's out Dylan's is like you got to. All you got to do is trick the machine by thinking about something you're really sorry about. Irv's still walking through the halls. Mark uh, says he's like, yeah, break room sucks, but that's why we have protocol so we don't end up there. And they just kind of look at him like, seriously, dude. Irv finally makes it to O and D. That the lady, the other you know worker, Felicia, she's there and she's just like, bursts over by shelf six and don't touch anything. So they look at like drawers of frames and stuff. Irv mentions that there was one that made him weep when he saw it. It was, you know, the depiction of like this philosophy or whatever, something, but it was only up for like a month or so. Then Bert's like, Oh, come over here. So he takes him to this other area and he's like, when the art cycles through all the department ends up back there. So he opened his drawer 
and the paintings in there. So there's like this kid lying in bed, you know, he's like he's sick, the family's like around, it's like old timey picture and you know holding candles and stuff like that. And so Irv's just like looking at it and he you know lightly like runs his fingers along the the, the frame, you know, the big gaudy, bulky frame, whatever. And then Bert kind of puts his hand on top of Irv. So it's like, oh. And then um, Irv's like, what time is it? He's like, oh, I, I should probably get going. And he like kind of rushes off. So it's like, interesting. Mark is looking at, at the map. And um, Helly comes up behind him. And he kind of startles him. And he like just puts in his dust drawer. And she's like, she's like, I got to 4%. And he's like, yes. And he's like, feels good, right? And she's like, I guess. So it must be something with the numbers on, on her screen or whatever. So she just like kind of looks at him a little suspiciously. Irv's walking back. And then he goes by this like conference room and he like doubles back, looks in there. It's a different conference room than the one that Helly woke up in. And uh, he sees the book, Rickon's book, the U U R just sitting on a chair. So it's like, who left it there? I was like, that's not not really a good idea. Helly now is sitting at Mark's seat looking at the map the picture. So she must have gone through his desk and she saw him like, you know suspiciously you know put it away he comes in from getting coffee with her and she's like what's this and he's like will you put that away and she gets up and like you know moves away you know takes it he, when he tries like grabbing it she um dylan's like now he's like what you know he was, what's going on and she's like it's a map of the hallway and you know he tries getting he's like it's not a map and dylan's like i thought we weren't supposed to make maps and mark's like we're not and it's like and i didn't it's just something i found so he says that he thinks maybe pd made it and Dylan's like, oh, crap, and you didn't turn it in? Helly says, he's like, you're such a hypocrite lecturing me on following the rules. He's like, I wasn't lecturing you. I'm just trying to keep you out of the break room. So now Dylan looks at it. He's like, that must have taken him weeks. And Helly's like, why aren't we supposed to make a map of the office? Mark's like, it's an Egan rule. So he's one of the other like former leader or maybe current CEO. I don't know. So they wonder, is like, what is, what's this? There's like some like house-shaped things. And they're like, you know, maybe he found a way to, you know, to get information from the outside or something like that. Mark's like, you can't do that. He's like, it's just random board doodles. Then Helly's like, oh, why don't you go lick a boot? She's like, you're more loyal to this place than your friend. And he's like, I'm loyal to how it felt around here before you showed up. And she's like, what, with Petey? And he's like, there was, there was balance when he was here. It's like, you know, we could have fun and work without the whole department imploding. She's like, the work here is BS. And he's like, it's mysterious and important. You know, they deal with the uncertainty it brings them in a way that Kier would have wanted together as a family. And she's like, I could not, with a razor to my throat, be less interested in being your family. And she takes uh, the picture from Dylan and she says to Mark, your best friend left this for you and you don't give a poop. So he like snatches out of her hand and he goes into the other room. So she follows and he like pulls out this like little, little like shredder. And he's like, you're right. I don't give a poop. You know, she's like, try stopping him. He shreds the picture. So he tells her, he's like, it's gone. He's like, thank you, Helly. Now can we get back to work? Then Irving comes in. He's like, Mark, it's an emergency. So Irv takes Mark and Dylan goes along with to the, the little conference room in a chair. They're like, it, so it doesn't look like uh, Irving. Uh, he probably didn't even touch it because he uh, he probably would be afraid to touch it because it's against protocols and all that. Irv says he thought of telling Mr. Milchek, but then he thought it was best not to break the chain of command. Dylan's like, it's just raining contraband today. And Irving's like, what? And he's and Mark's like, he just he's like, nothing. He's like, has anyone else seen anything like this before? And Irv's like, passage 31, page 110. Be content in my words and dally not in the scholastic pursuits of lesser men. Mark's like, no, no books except their handbook. Yeah, I know. 
So Mark picks it up. Irv's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he opens it and he see they, they all see an inscription. To Mark, intrepid cartographer of the mind, Ricken. Dylan's like, it's another PD message. And uh, he's like, flip through it and see if my name is anywhere. So Mark's like, kind of like looks, looks around. Then Irv's like, maybe it's a loyalty test. And he's like, remember the spicy candy? <laughs> Mark's like, he's like, I'm, I'm going to turn it into Milchek. So Helly, she goes in the other room. She goes in a drawer. She finds like one of those big um, whoosh, the paper cutter blade things. You know, it's just like, so she, then she goes to Cobell's office and she kind of pops Milchik's like, you know, he couldn't like stop her. So she's threatening to chop off her fingers. She's like, I want a camera. And she's like, I, so she wants to tape a resignation to her Audi right now. And she, then she looks at Cobell. She's like, do I look like I'm joking? She's like, no, you don't. And then like Mark comes in and Cobell's like, Hi, Mark. I'm just catching up with your trainee. It's almost like she's blaming him. So she tells Milchek, she said, get the camera, please. So she's sitting in a chair and uh, and, and she puts on the blade. So then so she must record a message or whatever. They all walk to the elevator and she has like a disc in her hand with the video. To Mark, she's like, well, boss, I guess this is the part where I should tell you to go to hell, except you're already here. So she gets in the elevator and she's like, I was never sorry. So the door closes, it goes up, and she looks at the disc in her hand. And then the door opens, and she's still on the severed floor, and they're all still standing there. But she looks down, she has a different disc in her hand. It's like in a different envelope. So they, they all go into their area. Uh, Milchek puts on the video. So Helly's on there. She's like, so Helly's Audi says, Helly, I watched your video asking that I resign. I also received and responded to your previous request. I assume that would resolve the issue. But now, Miss Cobell says you threatened to cut off your fingers. I understand that you're unhappy with the life that you've been given, but you know what? Eventually, we all have to accept reality. So here it is. I am a person. You are not. I make the decisions. You do not. And if you ever do anything to my fingers, know that I will keep you alive long enough to horribly regret that. Your resignation request is denied. And she looks up, turn it off. So Mark, um, he says, he's like, you hear him? He, he, so he's like talking, welcome, welcome your child to a world surrounded by nature. Uh, no, thanks. He's like, scroll down to explore our rustic birthing cabin so he's he's on the phone at home it's he's in the dark he's looking at a screen so he's talking with his sister about birthing cabins you know for where she's gonna give birth to her, her kid and then you know he gets off the phone with her and then um then he gets a, a news alert on his phone from the cure chronicle it's like local news alert severed lumen worker dies collapsing from unknown ailment so it's like oh crap so pd didn't just fall over pd is dead so then uh, he taps on, he looks, there's an article, PD's picture there. Then he hears like a phone buzzing. So it's PD's phones buzzing in the basement. So Grainer, whatever that other security dude, he walks into Cobell's office and she has, she's just sitting there. She has her, like fingers in a finger trap. He's like, have you heard anything from the board yet? And she's like, no. And then he's like, Kilmer wasn't your fault. And he certainly wasn't mine. He's like, they'll understand. He's then he's like, it wasn't your fault. Harmony. And she looks at him and she's like, if you want to hug, go to hell and find your mother. He's like, Jesus, Harmony. And then she's like, since PD reintegrated and he cuts her off, he's like, the board never acknowledged reintegration. She says that they have to get his chip. And Grainer says that his corpse is scheduled to be destroyed by cremation after his funeral on Sunday. 
FYI. Then he just like walks out. So she sits there and she's, you know, just by herself. She's like vision, verve, wit, cheer, humility, benevolence, nimbleness, probity. I had to look up probity. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Wiles. And then she's like, Wiles. So Mark's looking at a big picture of Petey. So he's at the funeral. You know, there's, there's like a big picture of him, like holding like a coffee cup or whatever. But he's like in not in work suit. Like he's, you know, it's not at the office. Or, so And then um, Cobell comes up to him. She's like, Mark. And he's like, Mrs. Selvig. And she's like, what are you doing here? He says that, you know, the news report said that this guy you know, worked at Lumen. So he thought maybe he knew him, knew him. And he's like, what are you doing here? She's like, he used to come by my shop. He adored my hibiscus wrap. And Mark's like, wow, you know, what a, what a small world. And then, you know, they, they, they see in the other room, there's like a, you know, casket there. And, and she's like, you know, we should go pay our respects. He's like, uh, you know, I, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, I'll, I'll meet meet up with you. But then he goes in the other room and he goes to this little bar, asks for like a whiskey. And they're like, we only have wine. So he just like had, orders a wine. Then uh, Cobell, Selvig, she's, there's like a lady standing in front of the casket. And she's like, was he a friend? And then she turns around and she's like, he was my dad. And Cobell's like, oh, so this is June that, that um, PD mentioned because he's like what happened to June where's June so I was like how come he didn't know where she was but Cobell's like oh I'm so deeply sorry I suppose you were close and everything hmm? and she just like turns around and like looks at her like what kind of question is that so at the mini bar this other lady um, orders a wine and you know PD's right there and she like looks at him she's like oh I'm Nina and he's just like okay and she's like Peter's ex-wife so when he doesn't recognize her or know anything she's like oh, you're from Lumen. And she's like, you didn't even know him at all? And he's like, well, I just figured I knew him. And and then June comes up and she's like, mom, it's about to start. Then Mark's like, are you June? And she's like, yeah. And then they go inside. So that right there, wouldn't they wonder, it's like, how did you know that P, this this guy, you don't know if you knew him, how did you know it is, he had a daughter named June? Then June comes up, sits behind him, like in a kind of like church area, like in a pew. And she leans forward. She's like, so you knew my dad? And he's like, um, yeah, at work. And she's like, oh, you're one of those. And then she's like, do you ever think that maybe the best way to deal with a flipped up situation in your life isn't to just shut your brain off half the time? She didn't say flipped up. And he's like, I'm not exactly sure. And then this video starts, whatever. So it's Petey and June, like kind of in the garage playing guitars. Or, you know, she's singing Enter Sandman. And uh, Cobell sneaks out to the casket and she opens it. She takes like a drill out of her bag. Mark starts um, thinking about, cause then when it's like, now I lay me down to sleep, you know, that, that part Pete's like thinking about, you know, just kind of getting memory flashes. You know, seeing Petey outside his sister's house and where Cobell's like drilling into his head. She takes like tweezers out and then she starts like digging. So Mark gets up, he goes to the casket and he sees a closed casket. So Cobell must've finished um, so then she's like, oh, was it something, you know, she had some reaction or whatever, allergic, something, you know, allergies. So they, they both leave then outside the house, you know, they, they go back home and, uh, she's it's like, oh, was the funeral sad? And he's like, something like that. And she's like, if you ever want to talk and he, you know, he's like, oh, thanks. He's like, thanks for being my funeral buddy. So then he's about to go inside, but then he goes driving and he pulls over the side of the road. So it must be where his wife got in a car accident. Cause you know, it's, it's dark out, but you know, he leans against his head. He leans his head against a tree and he's just like crying. So Cobell and Milchek, um, Cobell shows Milchek the chip. So she's in her office 
and it's like in a, a ziploc bag and he's like that's pd and he's like how and she's like take it up to diagnostics for me please and then miss casey knocks on the door so cobell wants her to run a special wellness session with mark s and milchick's like mark s what's the problem and she looks at him she's like he just needs it trust me so this is a, the wellness lady, whatever. Um, Bird is, is hanging up a new picture in a hall, or maybe he's dusting it. I'm not sure. But then Irv kind of, he peeks around the corner, and he like ducks back and he kind of waits. It's like almost like he's trying to make it look like he just randomly shows up. So he comes out, they start talking about the art. He's like, you know, I, I have to admit, I don't really like this one. You know, it kind of makes me nauseous or something, you know. And they're talking about whatever. And then Bert said that, you know, he was thrilled to have someone from MDR visit them. He's like, but, you know, if I embarrassed myself and Irv's like, you didn't uh, unless you you did. Were, were you embarrassed? Uh, and then he's like, no. And then Irving's like, good. So Bert says he has four more stops. He's like, would MDR like to accompany me? And he's and Irving's like, yes. So they walk and you know they're, they're talking and stuff like that. And, and then at the next conversation, Bert's like, oh, I wish I could nap. He's like, I think I'm asleep like 15 hours up there. And Irv's, he's like, he says to Irving, he's like, maybe you're, you know, you're just a party guy. Cause you know, Irving's like, but I can't sleep. I'm not supposed to. And so then, uh, Mark is reading Rickon's book in the bathroom and, you know, he's reading about, you know, your job needs you not the other way around, whatever. Irv and Bert say goodbye. Just kind of like a long, like handshake. So there's going to be some office romance here. I, I have a feeling Mark goes to his wellness appointment. Helly tells Dylan that you know she's gonna go, and Dylan's like, "Okay, yeah." He's like, I'll, I'll, "I'm gonna work." And he works right to the end because he wants to crush the numbers. And she's like, "See you soon." And um, then as yeah, she walks out, she's like, has like a bunch of rope, and um, she, so she keeps walking. Then Dylan gets up, and then he looks at Mark's desk. So Helly keeps walking. You know, she's going through the hall, and she grabs like a metal little metal trash can that's like in a corner. Dylan, meanwhile, you know, he looks in the bottom drawer. It's a bunch of like hangy folder things, and then he like, you know, they all look like they're empty. But then one, he he finds the the book, the U U R. He's like, I knew it. Miss Casey says to Mark, sometimes she asks people to sculpt how they feel out of clay. Would he like to do that? And Miss and Cobell is watching, so Casey gives him like this ball of clay. Irving um, is walking down the hall. Helly is by the elevator with a trash can and a rope. Dylan's reading chapter five, Destiny, an acrostic poem experience by the author. I had to look up acrostic too. So I guess that's just where, so basically each line is like D is for whatever E is, you know, so each sentence talks about a, is a, is a different line. I got a little, little distracted for a second. Sorry. Helly drops her ID badge in the trash. She gets in with the rope in the can. Irving opens the door. He like looks in. He like peeks in there. It, I don't know where he's at now. There's a like, huge room and there's a bunch of people kind of standing in front of these almost like square, like rectangular vending machine type. I mean, just solid machine stuff. And they have like clipboards and that. And then he like closes it. So I don't know where what that was about. Helly opens a, you know, she's on top of the can. She like lifts the top of the elevator and there's like a bar there. She kind of like tested the bar strength. Mark sculpted a big giant tree with the clay. So that must mean he somehow is, is remembering the tree that his wife must have swerved and hit, even though he's supposed to be severed. So then there's a, a flashback to Mark asking Helly how she's doing. You know, it's, oh, it looks like you're getting the hang of it here. And in, in the elevator, she puts a noose around her neck and then she kicks the, the can away and then she hangs and it fades to black right away. So it's like, holy crap, did Helly just kill herself 
because there's no one else around there. I mean, Irving might come up to her. Dylan is is busy looking at that book. Mark is in in the middle of well. What? Why is Mark at wellness at five fifty? Or I don't even know what time it may it wasn't five fifteen. But you know he's he, he's not going to come up. Someone's got to save Helly, right? <laughs> they can't kill her off. So man, this I I I don't know what it is about this show. I'm just I'm so fascinated, and th- th- maybe it's that, just that whole idea of severance. I wouldn't want to do it, but I'm a little intrigued. Like, would I want to do it? I don't know. I don't want to do it, but uh, it's it just seems so such weird. Anyways, so <laughs> that, that was this week. Uh, now I want to just like stop right now and go watch the next episode because I am like trying not to watch it right away. I'm trying to, to keep the schedule because I, I don't want to watch the next episode before I obviously, you know, when I record this, I'm, I'm trying you know, because of time and all that. But, oh, man. OK, uh, there's another new show that started on Stars. I debated. I, I thought about like covering it on the show, but because there's so much other stuff I talk about and maybe it's a matter of like trimming some things and not covering some things or whatever. But also, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting show. So shining veil it's on stars. It stars uh, Courtney Cox and Greg Kinnear. Um, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a half hour show and, and you know how I feel some half hour shows really work. like servant half hour show is like we're, a half hour comedy shows work really well, but like something like servant is, is interesting as in a half hour format, but this show it's, it's kind of like a, a dark comedy and it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of dark. Cause basically um, it like it, it opens with a uh, women are roughly twice as likely as men to suffer from depression. Symptoms include sense of helplessness, insomnia, change in sex drive, hallucinations, and feeling completely out of control. Women are also twice as likely to be possessed by a demon. The symptoms are the same. So it's like there, there's some, you know, a lot of mention of, of like depression and like infidelity or whatever. So basically, uh, Greg Kinnear and Courtney Cox, they're, they're moving with their two kids. They're moving out of the city. And um, what had happened is... Courtney Cox apparently cheated on on Greg Kinnear with uh, like the handyman guy or something like that. So they just needed to get out out of the city and you know just kind of to get like a fresh start. Sort of. She's like a, a writer. She wrote one book, like this romance book, and like I think when they mentioned to the realtor, she's a realtor is a uh, Sherilyn Fenn, which I didn't realize it. I didn't catch it at first. But she's like, I think she called it like woman porn or something like that. And she's like, it's not woman porn or whatever. So she's supposed to be writing like a second book. You know, she's had an advance from her, her agent, but it's, it's been like a few years. So she's been kind of like stuck with this story and everything. And so part of that, you're like, well, maybe, you know, moving and going somewhere, you know, she'll have time to write and stuff like that. They, they get this like big house. Cause like the, the son who's always, always playing video games. He's like, why are we moving into like a hotel or something like that? But then what, what happens is it seems like the house is, you know, there, there's, there's like, something going on there so how this is all going to fit together it's just kind of interesting but it's so like i said it's it's an interesting show and and normally i would probably cover it and do like recaps for it but i just i i don't know like how much interest there would be and also just the fact of of, you know like i said for the time because you know i don't want this to be you know super super long and uh, so, you know, so they have a son, like I said, who's always playing video games. He's like kind of socially awkward and stuff like that. Then they have a daughter who, you know, she's 
she's like blonde she's kind of tall you know almost like how she's their, their kids you know doesn't really look like them you know and uh she's like not really happy i mean she's she's very rude and like raw with her mom about the, the whole cheating and stuff like that and everything but like one of the things that happened like while they're driving and you know greg Kinnear's driving and stuff like that and then all of a sudden there's a a, a ball bounces in the road and there's this little girl in this dress and courtney's cock she's like there's a you know she like screams where they like swerve off the road and it's like that but then when they they get off they're like dad did you kill someone and then they, they look out and there's like nothing out there. there's no ball no kid or anything and he's like well maybe it's just a deer and she's like it wasn't a deer and, and then you know later you know she she sees she looks outside the window and there's like this woman out there too because oh when they first move in when they first arrive there and then uh there's this lady like across the street like outside the gate and courtney cox like sees her and like waves to her and then she like looked away for a second and like the lady's gone so it's like something's going on and uh you know there's just like weird weird stuff going on so it's it it feels like i don't know how to the ghost aspect or how that's going to play into it and um it, it, but it, it would be interesting to see so like i said two episodes dropped um i'm definitely going to keep watching it so it's on stars if you have stars i would recommend checking it out seeing how it is but yeah i, th- I think that's all i'm going to say so so shoot so not even five minutes talk so shining veil okay but with uh star trek picard season two episode two penance so there's a, a siren going off picard and q go outside picard's like where's the stargazer and q's like there is no stargazer so picard tells him you know stop playing games with people's lives is like i'm too old for this bs and then picard kind of picks up on something you know he tells q's like you're not well and q won't tell him like what he wants like what what he's doing so he actually like at one point he he backhands picard you know, he, he says that he's tired of his reluctance and all this stuff whatever he's like this is your penance and so then then suddenly they they appear inside so there's a a bunch of like alien slaves working and they, they almost seem like fearful of picard then q takes him to this other room there's like weapons on display like trophies and alien skulls like on little th- plaques or whatever so picard um i guess can get atonement and maybe even forgiveness and then picard he's like forgiveness for what and q says he's like oh i think you know he's like but you won't have to do it alone picard's like if i refuse and then um harvey his auto automated his robot servant dude comes in and he's like sensors you know he he asked him he's like has anyone been here and he's like no you know sensors said there's been no one there all morning so q isn't detected but you know he was there and, uh, you know, you hear this, like, speech in the name of the Confederation, blah, blah, blah. You know, Picard fought alien worlds and Picard. So he's watching this, like, holo speech of himself. And he's, you know, it's it's kind of like almost like a new soldier recruitment. It's like, you know, what you can do your part type of thing, whatever. So then he asks Harvey if he can locate someone who might have worked there. And he's like, mentions Laris. He's like, oh, yes, you mentioned her before. He's like, there's no records. He's like, there was a Laris in the free Romulan movement. She and her husband were likely killed. So, you know, that's, those are, that's who he's, he's talking about. So then Harvey tells him, he's like, well, you know, you're going to be going to the president's palace today. And he's like, why? He's like, it's eradication day. So, you know, he has to get ready to go. Then we see seven. She wakes up in a bed with a start. So the place is pretty fancy. Um, then, you know, she walks, gets up, her mirror kind of turns on and she sees she doesn't have any implants on her face. And, she, and like, and she looks at her hands, there's nothing there. So she kind of like does this like psychological test on herself and you know checks her senses and everything like that. So she's like, okay, this isn't a dream. She's like, how is this possible? 
this dude comes in, tells her, you know, she has a speech to give, you know, Madam President. So then, you know, there's a picture of her and this dude. It's like, wait, is she married to this guy? And then she says that, you know, she wants to report from the field. So she looks some files and she finds like Rios. So, and there's also apparently there's like a Vulcan war going on or something like that. So Rios is on a ship in the middle of a fireflight. You know, he's trying to figure out what's going on as well. You know, he's just, I guess, just appeared, you know, woke up there somehow. He gets a transmission from President Hansen, and he's like, President? And then she tells him, she's like, this line is secure. She's like, then he's like, or she asks if he's encountered anything out of the ordinary, and he pauses, and he's like, seven? So they both know that they're themselves. So he's going to head to Earth so that they can meet. In Okinawa, a building gets attacked, or maybe there's a bomb or something like that. So some rebellion going underway. Elnor is there, and he's like confused. So people in the street are starting to get fired upon. Um, he gets surrounded by soldiers, and another one, some, someone else comes and starts shooting all the soldiers around him, and you know, wearing like a hood. It's Rafi. So they're relieved to have found each other. So they have their memories and stuff like that. There's this lockdown alert. There's more soldiers. And they come up to him. Then Rafi points her gun at Elnor. And she's like, I want this one alive for questioning. So she has to act like, you know, that she's doing her job or something like that. So Seven finds out that Agnes is there too. You know, she's supposed to be putting the finishing touches on something or that's going to help wipe out the last of their enemy's forces or something like that. She's like in, in this lab. So Agnes wakes up in the lab and she tries to figure out where she is, what's going on. President Hansen, President Seven comes in and then, uh, seven you know she's like oh you know whatever seven and it's like that then agnes kind of cuts her off she's like you remember my husband she's like you know last time we saw each other we were gazing at the stars and then you know whatever so then uh seven's husband asks the prisoner in in this one stasis cell is ready or something like that and agnes is like i like yeah and she opens the cell it's a board queen or it's the board queen or a board queen so seven kind of steps back and the queen's like this this isn't right the hive is gone and she's like you know so she says it's like time's been broken and seven says that the borg have a trans-temporal awareness and you know she's talking to agnes and agnes whispers she's like she's like there's a, a corruption to the timeline so elnor is brought in for interrogation raffi says she's like i'll take over and then she, they're like, by whose authorization, whatever, and Picard's there. And he's like, by me. And then they all stand at attention. They apologize, you know, for questioning whatever his orders. And then um, they all go to seven and her, and her husband comes up to him and he demands, you know, he's like, why would you bring a prisoner, you know, in close quarters to the president who's also my wife? And she's like, it's okay, whatever, you know, they've made it so they they, they kind of get him out of there, you know, so they can discuss, you know, important matter privately, you know, while her husband's out there. So she tells him there's a board queen there. She suggests that there was a divergence in time. And Picard's like, of course. He's like, this isn't another galaxy. It's ours. He's like, you know, he's like, he went back in time and changed something. So he figures Q went back and did something. So they teleport into Agnes's lab. Picard goes up to the queen and she's like, you are Lacoitus? What was what was his name? Yeah, I think it was like that. And he's like, and you are not. So she knows that he's him, but he's also different. So he asks her, he's like, what did Q do in the past to turn the, our world into a totalitarian nightmare? And she calculates something happened in 2024. So she's like, somehow she's, you know, there, there's someone there to help them. There's a watcher, someone at this time period. So they have to figure out how to travel in time. And, you know, they're, they're trying to go through the different methods. You know, obviously everyone's traveled through time 
at, at some point in Star Trek. So, you know, they could like slingshot around a star with a gravitational pull or something like that. And, you know, Kirk's Enterprise did it on more than one occasion, but they also had Spock to do like calculations or something like that. And Seven's like, well, we have the queen, you know, she would help because of the eradication, you know, so they can get her. You know, if, if, if she wants to be connected to the hive, they need to fix everything. So she agrees to help. Um, Rios is nearby and they tell him and he tries energizing them to the ship cat first you know he doesn't want the queen there or whatever but it so they're on lockdown so that the, they can't send anyone you know back and forth and then the communication gets cut off too so uh, they're like they're trying to figure out what to do next then the queen gets like pulled back into the pod thing whatever so the eradication process has begun and um so seven tells him that she's been put in the queue so she'll be terminated as part of the ceremony and Agnes like, oh, that's barbaric. So the ceremony begins. Uh, President Seven, Pres- what are, President Hanson speaks, and she introduces Picard. They chant his name, Picard, Picard, Picard. So they're just like so bloodthirsty. And then the the board board queen is brought up. And they're like, kill, kill, kill. It's like, wow. Agnes, you know, she's trying to do some stuff. She manages to, to get through to Rios. Um, Picard, he gives a little speech and he raises a, a fa- you know, has a phaser, holds it up. And he's like pointing it at the queen. So they, I guess he's supposed to like shoot her right there in front of everyone in, in this ceremony. Rafi manages to get the, the shield turned off. And so they're able to be able to teleport. The crowd's getting restless because it's taking so long. And then Picard's like, he finally starts shooting soldiers on the stage. So it's weird that, you know, they, they realize that things are off, but they're like, okay. Cause like uh, Elnor, he, cause Rafi took Elnor, to this like one area so she can try to work on the shields part and then there's some like guards were there and she's like oh you know go take care of them type of thing so he like clearly kills them or whatever and it's like you're, you're killing these innocent they're not innocent because they're evil totalitarian shock troopers or whatever but it's just it's kind of kind of weird so you know picard's like shooting people as well so then agnes figures out um, that they'll all teleport out of there and onto Rios' ship, but they'll have to connect the queen to ship. And he's he's like, oh, she's not being connected. You know, he doesn't want her connected to ship, but they don't really have a choice. And the, the queen, it's weird because she's kind of quiet through all this. So it's like, what is she up to? You know, is there something going on, whatever? But then, um, so they're all in the ship there. And then Seven's husband teleports onto the ship and shoots Elnor. But so he's he's not dead, but he's wounded. And then in the, he has a couple soldiers with him. Then he points his gun at Picard. And he's like, I wonder what it'll say above your head. Jean-Luc Picard, traitor, killed while rescuing a Borg. And that's where it ends. So it's like, who is this dude? And, you know, they, they kind of mentioned, they're like, hey, you got a husband here. It's like, you know, kind of like, what's up with that? or whatever. So I guess, you know, I, I was a little reluctant. You know, I liked the show. And, I you know, after last episode, I was like, I don't know how, if I want to watch this. Or, or not that I want to watch it. I want to talk about it but yeah i i think i I enjoyed it you know it's gonna be interesting obviously they need to travel back so it'll be interesting to see what they do there and how you know what what did they have to do to fix things you know what what is it that changed what did q change to make everything go and it's like why would he make it like a total does he think that that's what picard would want that that's what's best so it's it's just kind of weird i don't know Okay, then the first movie feature, so it's going to be a little brief. So as, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't able to watch all of it because I wanted to make sure, you know, try to get this recording done and everything. Um, so I, I started watching it and 
so far I'm just I'm okay with the movie and you know as as I mentioned maybe it's just a matter of watching the whole thing and so I don't want to really judge the movie unfairly because you know I haven't watched how the whole story plays out and everything like that it's it, it got good reviews like on on Rotten Tomatoes as a 95% uh let's see 95% of 169 critics say it's positive 8.0 out of 10 heartwarming humorous beautifully animated and culturally expansive turning red extends pixar's long list of family-friendly triumphs so uh, what i thought with the the animation uh i it it seemed okay like the i i i, I do like the character designs you know it, it is something it looks a little different and you know it's a, the story is based on a chinese canadian student um May, May May Lean, I think her name is, but with the the, I, I even so, I you know I like the designs. It wasn't like extraordinary, you know, with what their character builds. But of of course, you know, this Pixar being Pixar, there are some moments like there's this one scene like early on where uh, like dinner is being made, and you see like the water boiling and you see like the smoke and like sprinkling like seasoning and so like all that just that's like that is like the amazing graphics it's like holy crap that looks so good but just a lot of the other stuff is just like okay and as you if you've watched the trailer or whatever you know that there's like a giant red panda thing involved and so of course you know you're going to have a lot of the the super slick you know amazing hair graphics you know which it, but it's almost at the point where like we've seen that so many times so it's it's not as amazing as it used to be i mean it's it's still it's spectacular what they can do but a lot of the other stuff was just eh, it was like okay i think my um biggest reluctance in what little i saw so so may is supposed to be a, a 13 year old girl as you're probably aware so I, I teach middle school math and so my students are like 11 12 to like 14 years old so they're in this age group and especially like when when the first when it opens up we see her getting ready going to school and everything like that and just like the way she acts and what you know most of how, how she's dressed and kind of like how her friends are dressed and kind of how to, i almost don't feel like it it doesn't quite feel like a 13 year old um it almost feels like maybe like 11 10 11 you know ish it almost feels like not quite middle school age and i'm not not that the middle school age kids are like super mature they're, they're not mature sorry <laughs> but i felt like she just like like someone like wearing like like a like plastic colored bracelets it's like you don't really see kids dressed like that and and i don't know so that that's just what threw me off a little bit and i know it's super ultra nitpicky you know it doesn't matter but it just makes me wonder it's like okay those involved with you know designing the characters and everything like that it's like i would assume that they would kind of and, and maybe it's just different and maybe it's different in the toronto area you know maybe people dress you know a little differently and you know maybe kids are more kids and not so hung up on you know trying to be cool or whatever so that was just a, a little thing that that kind of kind of threw me off a bit, but so basically, what's happening in the in the movie? You know, so May has her, I think it's three friends, and it, it's it's kind of cool to see you know her with her good friends and everything like that, and you know she, all trying to play it cool and and all everything. But what had happens is May 
kind of discovers that as she gets, you know, she somehow turns into this giant panda. And just like, this hasn't happened before. And it's kind of like, it's almost like a stress type of thing. And, you know, she's trying to figure this out and, and, you know, trying to keep it, you know, she just wakes up. It's like, what the heck is going on? So you have part of that. And then uh, also, cause like after this happened, like her hair turned red too. So like she goes to school and she has to um, wear like this hat over her head. And then like her mom thought that, she got got her period or something like that so and her mom's like just like embarrasses her and you know there's this other stuff that happened with like these drawings that you know this boy that may thought was cute and so uh there there's so you know stuff like that is 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 good and everything you know with seeing how you know mothers can be sometimes and and everything and but overall i don't i don't know and and you know maybe it's just a matter of seeing the rest of the movie so i think what happens is you know there's this boy band that they want to see you know because they're you know they got the hots for these boys because you know they're young you know teenage girls now and they want to go to this concert but i think they need to try to come up with the money to get there or something like that and the, the friends eventually find out about i mean obviously in what little i saw they they find out about her being able to turn into a panda and and there's a there's an explanation as to why and 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 you know maybe something that can be done about this and and so forth so i i i'm definitely going to watch the rest of it but like i said it's just, it was just a matter of time and if the movie didn't come out on friday and you know i i probably would have watched it and talked more about it but so it's um it, it could be good for for the kids of all i i, I think they would enjoy it now, what I, I heard is uh, apparently one review came out and was like pulled. So there's a little bit of controversy about this. And I was just like, wow. So what had happened is someone reviewed this and they were kind of upset that this was kind of like focused on this Chinese Canadian community. And the reviewer felt like it was just geared towards a director and a director's friends or something, you know? So it's like, but it's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, you, you look at like Ratatouille, Ratatouille's like in France. So it's like, if you're not from France, then the movie's not going to appeal to you. It's like, that has nothing to do with it. So I, I think it was good, you know, seeing someone like the, the Chinese uh, Canadian, you know, where Chinese American, you know, not, not American, but seeing like some of the, the cultures and, and, you know, trying to, just like a, a kid growing up and you know having maybe like stricter parents or like certain expectations and stuff like that so i, I it, it's it's good to see that and it's good for all kids i don't think I, I i would imagine kids are gonna enjoy this movie and i don't think they're gonna be looking at us like oh this is a chinese um, you know canadian person I, I can't relate to that they're gonna look at here's this girl hopefully they don't even like even think about i mean i don't know maybe not hopefully it's like they should be aware that it's not just a white kid you know they that there are other you know ethnicities out there so that that's that's great for them to see it it would be awesome if it if it doesn't really phase them because it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be a big deal and you know it's this is like here's this girl she's going through school and she's turns into this for you know what what is she gonna do about it how is she gonna get out of this and and so it, it kind of doesn't really matter but it does matter because it is important for representation and everything like that so um, but apparently the review was pulled because everyone was like jumping on there like this is racist this is sexist this is you know crazy and yeah so that's that would be kind of awkward <laughs> and um 
I don't have to worry about stuff like that happening on my website because I'm the only writer, so I don't have to worry about someone else writing a review. And uh, yeah, that was bad. But the movie looks good. Um, it doesn't look great, in my opinion. It, and it it's gonna be you know it doesn't have to look great to me. It's I'm not like the the core demographic for this. You know, this is obviously meant for kids. Um, I I think I I saw someone. I don't know if it was on Instagram or someone said that. Uh, so they enjoyed it. Their kids enjoyed it. Some of the jokes clearly go over to kids' heads, which is fine. I mean, that that's what's what's important about these movies. They shouldn't just be written for kids. You know, the adults, a lot of adults have to watch these, you know, they're forced to watch these movies. So it, it's important if, that they can appreciate things as well. And then kids, when they grow up and watch it again, they might be like, oh, I never really caught that before. So I think that's good. So it's on Disney+. Plus. That's the other thing, you know, there's a little bit of controversy over that. You know, apparently some people were upset. It's not opening theatrically. Um, it had a $175 million budget. So then it's like, well, how does this become profitable? Like, how does that work? Because there's no extra subscription fee or anything like that. It's just like you have Disney Plus, you get to watch it. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is uh, distributing movies costs money. So, you know, Disney's probably looking at it. It's like, yeah, they could try to put it in theaters, but they have to, you know, there's costs involved with that. And while kids' movies tend to do well, I'm trying to think, like, what's the last kids' movie? You know, we, there's been some movies. Like, how did Clifford do? And, you know, maybe Clifford is just doesn't compare. It's not the same level. But I, I feel like there's still going to be some parents that might be like yeah i'm not going to take my kids to movie i'm seeing a lot of people like on facebook and you know what they're like i haven't watched spider-man yet because it's they don't feel it's safe or maybe it's just not available you know there's whole things like are there theaters even open in your area and, and yeah everything's changing and all that but i don't know how you know maybe it could have done some money in in, in theaters but maybe it wouldn't have so i don't know so you can check it out i, I i'll watch the rest of it and hopefully people enjoy it, especially the kids, because that's who it's meant. Okay, then the main movie feature, which I really enjoyed this movie, was Studio 666. So this is a Foo Fighters movie. And <laughs> I I thought this, it's basically, if so if you watch the trailer, it's basically, it's kind of like an Evil Dead 2 type movie. It's, it's a horror, horror comedy, and it stars the band. So it's, it, I'm so glad I got to see this in a the theater because, so I would have seen this movie, I, th I think it came out, I forget, when did this come out? It was uh, Feb February 16th, uh, no, maybe it was February 25th, it was February 25th, and when I, I checked my theater, because to, to, I always go usually to Thursday night, like preview night, and when I, when I checked it, it wasn't listed on there, so I was like, oh man, it's not playing here, but then... When I saw the Batman last week, I, I was like, what? It's playing? So I don't know if I mentioned this. And then, so what I was going to do is last Saturday, I was going to go see it, but there was only like a 7.15, 7.30 and a 10.15 show. So I was going to go to the 7.30, but then when I checked online, the show was erased. So I don't know if they were going to show the Batman in there or something happened. So I ended up going, uh, I think I went Tuesday night. And it was in a, a tiny, tiny theater because uh, my, my theater has, has a bunch of different theaters 
uh, you know, a bunch of different screens, but it, it was a fun movie. So I, I really love the Foo Fighters and, you know, I, obviously I, you know, like most people, I really love Nirvana and, um, coincidentally, you know, I, I listen to audiobooks when I drive to work and I've been listening to Dave Grohl's audiobook, which he's narrating and, and it's great. You know, Dave Grohl is just an, such an amazing and such a kind person. He's such a good person. So, you know, just hearing different things, it's just a emotion. I get emotional sometimes hearing some of his stories and the different things that have happened. So watching this movie, I'm, I'm so glad because they're, they're funny. If, you know, you, you look at like some of their videos and stuff, you know, interviews or whatever, you know, especially like, like Dave and, and Taylor and even like Pat, you know, they're, they're, they're funny guys. So seeing this movie, it's just, it's, it's really good. So it, it, it's not like the most epic movie or whatever, and it's not trying to be. And, you know, it's like I said, when I say it's like kind of like Evil Dead 2, it's, it's almost like that. You know, you can, it's not that it's like really low budget, but, you know, there, there are some some pretty good effects in here, like some gruesome stuff that that's seen. Um, there's a couple moments where some of the acting is a little, little questionable. You know, they're not necessarily actors, but for the most part, it, it, it they, they deliver, they do a good job. So the the idea here of what's what's happening is uh, the Foo Fighters are in a meeting with their, their their manager or whatever at the record label, and you know their tenth album's coming up. So he's just like he's like, "Where's my album? We need that album or whatever." So they're they're trying to figure out what they want to do, and and Dave's like, you know, he he wants to do something different. You know, he doesn't want to record something because you know, they've they've done like the same thing over and over again. And then the manager's like, "Oh, I I got just a place." So they take him to this. Uh, this there's realtor or whatever it takes them to this oh what we see earlier is this woman is like crawling on the floor and this was like in 1993 and she's crawling on the floor and, and she's got like a bone sticking out of like her her thigh which is like kind of nasty and then there's like someone like after like behind her with like a hammer walking like grabs her and smashes her head <laughs> so cut to the present their manager uh figures to take take him to this house it's been empty whatever and you know because i guess other bands have used it before or something like that so dave immediately catches on like there's some really great acoustics in here and part of it is because the house might be kind of possessed you know there might be something else going on here just just like resulting with with all this and um eventually what happens is you know as as they're, they're, they really don't have an idea they don't have anything set up they're like yeah you know the record will be you know kind of done soon dave suggests that they all stay at the house while um <laughs> while they record i'm just thinking there's like something i won't get into it uh like one of the comments because they're like like okay i'll go but you know you have to tell my my wife and then this other guy's like, I'll tell your wife. You tell my my grandma or something like that. And then this other guy's like, I'll tell her or something, insinuating that they like hooked up or something. <laughs> Anyways, they're still trying to figure things out, and then the it the, the house is possessed. And then there's like Dave slowly starts getting kind of not necessarily. Well, I mean, he does get possessed, and you can see, and you see all this in a trailer. And there's like this this dark song because he finds like a reel from the band that was there before and you know there's this like this unfinished song and he's just like playing and it's like this like never-ending song it's like i i 
thing at one point it's like it's like down to like 45 minutes or something like that and you know they don't have the ending and it's if you finish the songs something bad might happen or whatever so it's like all this stuff happening and deaths start happening and it's just it just gets gets off the rails and everything but it's it was just like a a, a super silly movie and um i i just i had fun with it and i don't know if it's just a matter because you know how i feel about the band and and you know dave Grohl and everything like that on rotten tomatoes i guess it's at a 55 percent, and like clearly because the movie is not going to be forever i mean this is not something you take seriously and i'm sure some reviewers are going to be like what is this and but it's 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 i enjoyed it i cannot wait to see it again i'm definitely gonna like get this movie i want to own it and watch it so because like i mean the thing like i I, i'm sure i've mentioned this before so i'll i'll use this opportunity to mention the story again so i i still remember like when i first heard smells like teen spirit and you know you always hear how like yeah that changed everything you know that that was the birth of grunge and that killed you know heavy metal music you know it was just such such an amazing um album and also having listened to you know, Dave Grohl kind of talk about it. I mean, it was just, it was just mind boggling, you know, just how everything happened and how it just like changed. And then, you know, Kurt wasn't quite ready for this, you know, even though he wanted to like rule the world of music, you know, and all this like that. It's just, it was just, just, just bad. And, you know, there's other issues and stuff going on, but like my whole thing with this is, <laughs> um, I remember like how I found out, so I was I was waiting tables at a Chili's restaurant, <laughs> baby back ribs. <laughs> Anyways, and uh, I it was in the morning, you know. So before we're gonna open, I was like, okay, better use the restroom before I go. And at the Chili's, I don't know if I think other places do this too, but in, in the restrooms by the the urinals, there's like a little case where they would put the newspaper in there every day. And so I guess the idea is if you're a dude going to the bathroom, you have something to read while you're going. So who's like going to sit there and read an entire front page of a paper or whatever? It's like you shouldn't be having to pee that long. But so as I go, I see like, oh, there's Kurt Cobain. And then I was like, Kurt Cobain's dead. I'm just like, what? And then what I realized, I had a dream about his death, the like the night before I found out about it. And now, now I think whether I don't think it, I think it was reported a couple days later. I don't know the whole timetable. I'm not going to look it up or whatever, but for me, like that night before I had a dream where I was on a telephone pole, like climbing a telephone pole for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. And I heard people talking about Kurt Cobain was dead. Somehow I could hear it being on this telephone pole, whether I'm hearing it through the wires or I'm hearing it by someone's, I don't know. I don't remember that, but I just remember hearing about that. And it was just like, like, whoa, that was weird. But it, it, you know, it's like a lot of times you, for me or whatever, I wake up, I don't always remember my dreams, but when I saw that paper and then it just, it came back to me, I'm like, holy crap. It's like, I just, I dreamt that he was dead. And then I'm like, am I dreaming now? It's like, what? So it was just a, it was just 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 like just brutal and then uh listening to dave girl talk about it i mean it's just it was just like there was one point where he he gets a phone call and they're like he he's not with us anymore and then he just like falls to the floor he's just like 
you know, even though he, he, they knew there, he was troubled, there's stuff going on, he still wasn't ready for it. And then a few minutes later, he gets a call like, no, wait, he's still alive. It was, it was just, uh, he just OD'd. It was just, you know, it's a false alarm. He's, he's okay. And then 36 days later, he, 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 he dies. So, you know, there's that. And there's another part that, that got to me where, you know, Dave Grohl and his, this again in his book, where he's talking about like different moments when he's met like his rock idols and stuff like that. And it's like some really touching moments and everything. But, you know, he was at, at a, at a bar, you know, with some friends or whatever. And he's like, he's going to the bathroom and, and he's like, there's Lemmy. So, you know, sitting at a table by, in the back, you know, there's a little poker screen, whatever on there, just by himself. And, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead. And then he's just like, um, excuse me. He's like, I just want to say, you know, thanks for everything you've done for, you know, inspiration and stuff like that. And Lemmy's just like, cheers. And then so Dave, you know, that's it. You know, he doesn't want to intrude on him. He goes to leave it like that. Then he's like, sorry about your friend, Kurt. And when I heard that, I was just like, I mean, it, you know, because the thing is, like, you know, Dave Grohl is like very modest, and you know, a lot of times he's like, no one's going to recognize me. Because in the beginning, he, you know, talked about when when they shot the stardom, you know, Kurt Cobain's face was like everywhere, like all over newspaper, you know, front page, or, you know, magazine covers. That's what I was trying to say. But Dave, with his long hair and behind the drums, you know, he got to hide behind it. So he's like, he got to enjoy the success but he also still got to keep his anonymity and so you know he didn't get to see it so he's always like no one's gonna know me you know no one's gonna recognize me and stuff like that but then you know obviously people do and all everything like that so it's it's a it's a really good book so i'm 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 almost done with it listening to the audio so i highly recommend it if if you do audio books or you know read the book but anyways go back to the movie since it's such a big segue it's just it's just such a silly fun it's a horror comedy. So I I highly, highly recommend it. I mean, unless you absolutely don't like the band, which you're kind of crazy, but that's fine. You know, you're if you want to be crazy and not appreciate good music, that's that's your choice. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. So I, I just really enjoyed it. So I'm glad I got to see it, you know, give my little contribution ticket sales to help support the movie. Cause um, you know, it's um, I think it's only like at like three million dollars box office, but I, I don't even think there's a lot of a lot of marketing for this. It's like I didn't see the, the trailer. I, I don't think I watched the trailer until after the movie came out. And, you know, I knew that this was in the works. I think there's like some contest I saw. Uh, like my brother sent me like an Instagram post like this enter this contest what and I'm always so super hesitant about entering any contest. So so I knew that there was a thing, but I wasn't sure. I was like, is this an album? Like what's going on? And, and yeah. So studio six, 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 uh, it's, it's definitely worth watching. But on that note, that is going to be the end of an episode, which is good because my throat, I need, I could use, uh, some water. Um, so big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Lookin. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently talking about 1987's uh, John Burns Superman series. So uh, I think I'm doing issue three this week. I did the first couple, the first two issues already. And going to do th- issue three. I've recently talked about the Resident Evil uh, Mia Jovovich movies, which 
I, I have a new appreciation for him after a while because I hadn't watched them all before. So that was fun. So you can listen to all that by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. KO-FI.com slash gman from heck. All right. So next week, what am I going to talk about? So there is nothing, there, there's no theatrical movie that's coming out. So I'm going to talk about the Adam project. Um, I'm actually going to watch that maybe now or tomorrow. I'm like now. And um, so I, I, I heard it's, it's pretty good. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I, I only saw it on one trailer. I like avoided the other one. So I'm, I'm really curious to see. I, I, I love Ryan Reynolds. I adore him. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I like Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. And um maybe I, I i don't know if i need to but maybe i'll touch on like what did i think about the rest of turn of um turning red maybe not so i don't know and then all the other shows so that is going to be it for this week i hope you are doing well uh <laughs> i hope i survived this week at work i won't get into that but i hope you take care of yourself and again you know i always say try to find some time do something fun do something for yourself do something for others you know it's so easy just a little gesture make someone feel better let brighten someone's day and especially remember to be good to each other 